0: hello people of the way if you have your bible please open up to galatians chapter 2 galatians chapter 2 now before we get started it's very important to uh, make sure you listen to our study it's called the introduction to galatians because we cover some very very important subject matter about the law it's very important to understand these things as new covenant believers because we stand firmly on the rock of salvation always abiding in jesus christ and we abide in the fulfillment of the law, never leaving him to go to the law, but we abide in Christ as the fulfillment of the law. And there's even fulfillment for us as New Covenant believers. And so we're going to start here in chapter 2, verse 1. And remember, that's one of the big problems with Galatia, uh, uh, wanting to go to the law. And so here in chapter 2, verse 1, the book of Galatians, <clears throat> Paul says this, Then after 14 years. Now, just as a little side note here, when Paul says then after 14 years, we see that Paul has his own growth and maturity in Christ. He's growing. And remember when we looked at these passages in Acts last week, in the book of Acts, you see how Paul, how you know, when he uh, uh, became a Christian, and he became a Christian, a believer in Jesus Christ, and he didn't immediately confer with flesh and blood. We studied that last week in in chapter 1, when you see in like in verse 13, his former conduct in his old self, his former conduct in Judaism, how he persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And then the Lord called him through his grace in verse 15. And then in verse 16, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. And then in verse 18, after three years, and then now in chapter 2, verse 1, then after 14 years, so you see his own growth and maturity in Christ. And at the same time, when you look at the, passages in the book of acts around this time frame you see how he became a threat you see i wonder what it was like when paul was like a brand new believer a fresh fresh baby in christ you know probably not a threat at that time yeah he perhaps walk into synagogue and you know no big deal he could just listen but then what about year two maybe he would say something Year three, four, five, when it became, remember, it became, it was his custom to go into the synagogue and reason with the Jews, the religious leaders, the teachers of the law. And when you read the book of Acts, you see that he was uh, 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 not just convincing, but he was also proving that Jesus Christ is the Messiah using the law. And it's at that time when he was not only a threat, but he became deadly. And I speak spiritually, he became deadly. And the Lord was adding numbers to the saints in those days. And, you know, you see this opposition that he was faced. Now the religious leader says, okay, yeah, we didn't like him. He's sitting here in the synagogue. Now it's getting to the point where he's more of a threat and people are becoming Christians, leaving the law. And so now let's kill him. You see, he became a threat. And that's what's so powerful about maturing in Christ For you and for me, because we can become threats. And when I say become a threat, I speak very spiritually. I'm not speaking in a carnal sense or in a worldly matter or a manner, but I am speaking entirely supernaturally. We can become a threat to the forces of Satan, to the forces of the spirit of Antichrist. And so we see this here in verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. So you see this, another little bubble, you know, the very early stages of this bubble. And then so you see, and when I say bubble, if you're listening for the first time, listen to our studies through 1st and 2nd Corinthians, because you'll understand what I mean when I say bubble. And so he says here in verse 2, And I went up by revelation and communicated to them or declared to them that gospel, that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation. Now, so you see here, when Paul he goes and preaches to the Gentile that gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's very interesting is that when you see the overlap in this particular time period, the the, the writing of the book of Galatians, and you see the the time period that Paul references. Now, remember, he's referring to a historical moment kind of uh, 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 to tell the Galatian saints that, you know, uh, when I first became a believer and then after three years and then after 14 years. uh, So he's giving a little historical account of his own walk, his own growth, his own maturity in Christ. And when you look at this time frame in the book of Acts, you see at the same time, God's handiwork, how his mercy and his grace and his love is extending to the Gentiles. And you see the manifold ministry of the Lord that he's at work completely and totally he's at work the Lord is at work and it's so powerful because Paul is speaking he says you know how he he, he would uh, uh, that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles and then he says at the in verse 2 he says but privately to those who were of reputation this is like a a, a private and separate gathering a private and separate fellowship to those who are uh, who, who were of reputation now this translates as Uh, Those who were uh, of opinion, those who were of thought, those who were were reputable. Now, it would be like the influencers of those days. Now, when I say influencers, I'm not speaking about the rich and famous. I mean the influencers in the faith in Jesus Christ. Leaders in the church, in verse 9, not to get ahead of myself, but in verse 9, he says, when James Cephas, which is Peter, and John... Who seemed to be pillars? So you see that in this, you know, this those who were of reputation, who were uh, those of opinion and thought and reputable. These are, you know, uh, the heavy hitters, so to speak. And I don't mean any clout in a prideful sense or in an arrogant sense or in a in a a, 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 to to stand on a, a pedestal sense. But I say that in the sense of teachers, how Paul says how. The Lord has these people as patterns to follow, patterns to emulate. Remember how Paul says to the saints in Corinth, he says, Follow me as I follow Christ or imitate me as I imitate Christ. Well, he is one of the patterns that the Lord has for us. For the saints then and for the saints today. He is one of the patterns. And there's still patterns that the Lord has for us today. You know, Paul is one of them. Peter is one of them. John is one of them. James is one. uh, Priscilla, Aquila lydia chloe all these beautiful examples that we have in the word of god old testament and new testament and so when he has this private uh uh uh, separate fellowship to those who have reputation and he says here still in verse 2 he says lest by any means i might run speaking of his future walk or had run speaking of his past walk in vain whoa Paul's saying that he might have run or had run or he might run in vain. Absolutely. That's what he's saying. And it's so beautiful because you see his growth and maturity in Christ, but you also see at the same time his humility. His humility because, you know, in this, in these private studies or these uh, private separate fellowships with those of reputation is to come alongside these people. Among the real influencers, I'm not talking about the rich and the famous, you know, today we have influencers, but they're just a bunch of boneheads, a bunch of stupid people. You know, oh, I'm an influencer. Look how awesome I am. Look, I do my hair like this. Look, I have these muscles like this. It's a bunch of stupidity and people follow these guys. But biblically speaking, you have these influencers, patterns that the Lord has for us to emulate, to follow. Just as Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. But at the same time, when Paul aligns himself with these uh, in, in this uh, separate, this private uh, fellowship, to make sure, to see that you know he's not among babies. He he doesn't go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 type of fellowship and say, hey, guys, you know, like, you know, have a fellowship. I mean, he does have fellowship with them, but it's more as a teacher unto student capacity or parent unto child capacity, him being the parent, him being the teacher. But when he's in this other fellowship, it's more of like mindedness in terms of the workers, the workers, the teachers, the parents. It's in 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 that environment, and we see you know he drops names. He says James, Cephas, John, in verse nine. There's more, but these are when when I say these are heavy hitters. I don't mean like in a prideful sense, but these are heavy hitters. I mean, we have their writings in in the canon of Scripture, you know. And so what's so powerful here when he has this? You know, it's he, he's not amongst babies, and what if? What if Peter was there and he says, well, well, Paul, you know, the, the Lord is moving like this in this regard. And then James says, well, Paul, the, the Lord is working over here in this regard. And then, you know, John says, well, you know, I understand that the Lord is working here like this and the Lord is working here like this. And Paul, you're doing this. And but the Lord is also doing this. And to have this meeting of the minds to say, wow, look at what the Lord is doing. Look at how he's at work. And especially when you see this reference point in the growth of Paul, remember he says after 14 years, and you overlay that with the book of Acts and you see how the Lord is working throughout the lands, it's powerful. It just blows me away because you see the manifold grace, his mercy And the love of the Lord spreading throughout the land. And the Lord is adding numbers to the saints. And at the same time, you see these little bubbles popping up. Paul is one of them. Barnabas and Titus. Cephas is another one. Peter is another one. I mean, Cephas and Peter being the same. You see these little bubbles. You see, God is at at work. He's moving. But then at the same time, Knowing the overlay of our study in the book of Acts, knowing the overlay of the book of Galatians, knowing the overlay of what we've studied in 1st and 2nd Corinthians and you Romans, you also see something else. Satan's at work too. Satan is at work too. If you and me were to go up to the very tippy top of a high mountain and look down at the battlefield, spiritually speaking, do you know what we would see Harkening back to our study through the book of Acts, through the epistles thus far? Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and now Galatians, knowing that there were problems and issues in all of those different regions among the saints. And we were to overlay that with the book of Acts. And remember, you and me are on the peak of a mountain. And we look down at the battlefield. Do you see what we I mean, would see the Lord at work? Would see Satan at work? You'd see the church taking casualties. You'd see the church with victories. You'd see Satan with victories. You'd see bubbles that the Lord establishes. You'd see bubbles that Satan pops. You'd see all come. Remember the home invasion that we studied in the book of Acts? You'd see death with the saints. You'd see numbers being added to the saints. You'd just see like this big battlefield, spiritually speaking. And it's... It just blows me away so much because in these last days, that battlefield will intensify and it is intensifying. And it's so beautiful at the same time. Now, do you remember when we started this study in the book of Galatians and you hear us mention how you see Paul is like a, in a general capacity, militarily speaking, in a general capacity, the the overlay. So say, for example, you and me were at the tip of the mountain, we're at the peak of the mountain. And we're looking down and we're just blown away. Bubble over here, bubble over here, bubble over here. You see Paul, you see Peter, you see John, you see all, and then you see Satan popping bubbles. And then you see, you know, the home invasion. You see spiritual attacks. You see how the, the uh, what's coming against the saints, what's coming against the church. You see all these things. And then there in our midst is Paul as a general. And we're on the top of the mountain. And then he points to us and say, look what's happening over there. He points down and says, look what's happening over here. And we're completely and totally on board. We understand. And he's the type of general, militarily speaking, where he doesn't stay on the top of the mountain. He goes down from the mountain and he himself goes and engages in combat. Spiritually speaking. But he himself goes and engages in combat. That's the type of leader he is. He's not just you know sitting at headquarters and saying, you know, okay, you know, this is the battlefield and this is how we do. No, he he's wearing his armor and he goes in and he goes and handles business. S- spiritually speaking, I speak metaphysically when I say things like this about combat and warfare. But it's so beautiful because Paul himself, he goes and speaks privately with those who have reputation, lest by any means he says in verse 2, I might run, I might run or had run in vain. You see? he's not having a meeting of the minds with babies. It would you see how impossible it is for Paul to have a meeting of the minds with a 1 Corinthians chapter 3 type of bunch. Not to say that they're not beautiful. The 1 Corinthians 3, they're saints. Yes. But for Paul to have a meeting of the minds, no, it's impossible because he, his mature, it would be like, it would be like, you know, if, if we're in calculus, you know, we've, we've matured, we've grown and we're taking calculus lessons. And then all of a sudden we go and sit in, sit in the seats at, at the student desks of, uh, preschoolers. You know, we sit at the table of preschoolers and it's like, well, wait a second. You know, w- 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 there's no meeting of the minds here. Now, if you hearken to our study in Romans, you might say, well, wait a second. I thought you said, remember the rugby rugby match? I thought you said it's good to do that. Well, yes, it's good to do that. But using this analogy of the classroom, the rugby match is on the field. (laughs) You see, the rugby match is on the field. To those who have ears, I'll add, the rugby match is on the field. But in the classroom, it would be like that example of we're calculus students. And all of a sudden we get up, we leave the classroom and we go and sit down at the desk of the preschoolers. You know, it's it's nonsensical, not in a prideful sense, but in a sense of we're meat eaters and we're in calculus and we need more calculus. We need to understand calculus. We need to master calculus. And then we move on to whatever's next, statistics, high end statistics. I don't know. But that's the example. And Paul, he has this meeting of the minds with this, those of reputation. Influencers, real spiritual influencers. I'm not talking about, you know, so you see the, you know, pastors on social media, they take the selfies. Oh, look how awesome I am. I'm praying. And they take the selfie. Or look how awesome I am. I'm giving this homeless guy a meal. Look, let me take my selfie. No, they just they just want the accolades of men. But what about the ones who do that secretly? What about the ones who uh, uh, walk with Jesus Christ? And, and the ones who Pour into the sheep and the lambs, such as the Pauls, the real influencers, you see. And then Paul says this in verse 3, yet not even Titus, Titus, future pastor, mind you. Paul is referring back, remember, after 14 years, he's giving a little history lesson to the saints in Galatia. Referring back to his history. Remember how Moses, in our study in in Deuteronomy, it just so happens that we're in Deuteronomy. But in Deuteronomy, how Moses reflects back back on the past to help Israel in her future. And Paul is doing the same thing, to help the Galatian saints with their future, and their, not just their future, but their present. He's using his past to explain these things and the the danger of the law. He says yet not even Titus in verse 3 a future pastor who was with me being a Greek very interesting he's not even Jewish Titus not a Jew he's Greek was compelled to be circumcised not forced to be circumcised he says in verse 3 not even Titus who was who uh, was uh, uh, not even Titus who was with me being Greek was compelled to be circumcised Not No no force of circumcision. Remember, he's a Greek, number one. But then number two, do you remember in our study the introduction of Galatians and we looked back on the original Hebrew Roots movement that happened in the early church? And we look at those passages and you see how there were some of former Pharisees who believed in Jesus Christ. Praise be to the Lord. They're in the church. They're saints. But at the same time, it begs the question, why were they holding on to the law? Why were they holding on to the law? Because they took it upon themselves to go and start teaching. Well, if you want to be right with the Lord, you got to be circumcised. And you got to do the law of Moses. That's what they were doing. And it was, you know, it was no small thing with Paul, with Barnabas, with Peter, with James. No small thing. Listen to our study, the introduction of Galatians. You see, it was something that was a big chasm in the church, a big Source of division in the church because now you have this chasm between these Pharisees who took it upon themselves well you know the going in, going to going to Gentiles and saying well, if you want to be right with God then you have to be circumcised and they were actually doing it the Gentiles they were actually doing it. these are things that the Galatian saints were doing as well performing the law of Moses but remember Jesus Christ says, Moses wrote about me. Moses wrote about me. And so now, you see the protection that Paul has for those in his bubble, for Titus Titus included. I didn't compel Titus to be circumcised. There's no compulsion for Titus to be circumcised. You see, he's Greek. And it's so powerful because you see what had come into the church was this drive of okay now you got to do the law of moses now you got to be circumcised no righteousness doesn't come through the law and so look what happens here in verse 4 and this occurred because of false brethren very interesting false brethren pseudo delphos pseudo being fake uh delphos being brothers like you know philadelphia the city of brotherly love Pseudodelphos, it's the pretend brother, wicked brother is what it translates as. False brethren secretly brought in. You know what this translates as? Smuggled in. They were smuggled in. Very interesting how we see this happen. Who came in by stealth? This was their function to spy out our liberty or freedom, which we have in Christ Jesus. And this was their purpose. That they might bring us into bondage. You see? These are false brethren. Yes, the pseudodelphos, the pretend brothers or the wicked. That they might bring us into bondage. Ministers of Satan. You see? Remember the preacher guys? The preacher guys. Remember our study in, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11? We didn't, it's not too long ago that we studied this. If you've been walking with us for a while, this was just several weeks ago. If you're a new listener, make sure you listen to our study through 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. It will help you in your own growth and maturity in Christ. But Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse three. He says, I fear lest how, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds, you see what goes on in the mind? So your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches, so the preacher gets the preacher guy. But what is he preaching? He says, another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you received a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. The saints in Corinth, they were putting up with it. The saints in Galatia, they're putting up with it. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the same chapter, verse 14, he says in verse 13, for such are false apostles, pseudo-apostolos. You remember like the pseudo adelthos, Pseudo-apostolos. Pretenders. Deceitful workers. transforming Transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. See, they appear like they're apostles. Oh, he's got my best interest in mind. Look, he looks like a preacher guy. But what is he really? Paul says this in verse 14, 2 Corinthians 11. He says, And no wonder for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers, you see, ministers of Satan, servants of Satan, also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. So they appear like they're holy. They appear like they're uh, in our best interests. That's what they appear like. They speak Christianese. But what is it that they bring into the fellowship? And he says in verse 14, whose end will be according to their works. That's their end. But when they're not at their end, what are they busy doing? What are they busy doing? Well, we see an example here in Galatians chapter 2. In Galatians chapter 2, in verse 4, they're secretly brought in who came in by stealth. They're smuggled in. And their function is to spy out our liberty or our freedom which we have in Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. That they might bring us into bondage, you see? It's an attack. It's an attack. A spiritual attack. Remember, you and me on the peak of the mountain, and we look down at the battlefield. I mean, in the book of Acts, we're like, we're studying in the book of Acts, and you see, like, the actual battle. You're, you're, we're like, you get like a, a, a front row seat to a, a specific fight. A front, front row seat to fight number one, fight number two, region one, region two, fight number one, fight number two, region three, fight number one, fight number two, and on up to fight number 20 in different regions. But on the peak of the mountain, we see it all. We see the overlay of all these things. The Lord establishing bubbles, Satan popping bubbles. The Lord establishing bubbles, Satan popping bubbles. Pop, pop, blow, blow over here. Everything, and you see the home invasion, you see death, you see all these different things. Stoning, the uh, uh, the efforts to kill Paul, knows with him. You see it all. Now, one of those aspects of f- the fight, of combat, the ser- servants of Satan, they come in stealthily. They come in smuggled in. You see, so you have a, a camp of saints. Remember, we're on the mountain. We're looking at the battlefield. We look at, you know, in one region. We see it all, all regions. We just look in one region and you see a pool of people. And it's so beautiful because like, okay, those are saints, you know. these Here's a group of saints here. But then you see, okay, the saints, people coming in. Numbers are being added. And we can say, wow, praise be to the Lord. Look, the church is growing over here. Wow, look, the church is growing. But then you see another guy walk in, another guy walk in. And one of those guys is a servant of Satan, a messenger of Satan, a spy, you see. And what happens in that fellowship now? Remember, the whole objective of that spy who was brought in by stealth and smuggled in, the whole objective is that of that spy is to bring the saints into bondage, you see. How does that happen? Now you see the danger behind that That group of Christians, saints. And that we're on a we're fresh battlefield, so they're baby Christians. And the servant of Satan walks in. And what can happen to these babies? To be brought back into bondage, you see? Now, in the mindset of a worker, remember, you have to make the distinction between field and worker. If you don't want to know what I mean when I say that, listen to our study through 1 Corinthians. All of it, First Corinthians, uh, First Corinthians, and Second Corinthians, because you'll have a deeper understanding of the 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 the, the meaning of worker and field, and then also the functionality, and also its beauty. Both factions, you'll understand these things. Now, in here in Galatians two, if you and me were on the top of the mountain, we see this overlay, and we're in a position of workers. Maybe you're a pastor, maybe you're an elder, Bible teacher. Maybe you say like, "Wait wait a second! I'm just I'm in I'm in the field. I'm a pew Christian." Okay, today you are, but we don't know how the Lord is going to call you down the road. We don't know. Say for example, we're in a worker capacity, and we're looking down. How do we prevent that from happening? From from those saints, from those saints that are are now. Have the presence of the spy who was smuggled in, a servant of Satan. And his objective is to bring them into bondage. What do you and I do? You see? We teach. We warn. We encourage these babies. Hey, don't be a baby anymore. Don't be a baby anymore. Grow. Be a Berean. Mature in Christ. Because with maturity comes the ability to identify. Oh, wait a second. This guy's a spy. Now, say, for example, we're in the field now. We're not workers. We're in the field. And say we're in the field, and we're in that particular bunch of saints, which the spy walked into. Now, if we have defunct pastors, defunct elders, they're not going to be able to know, okay, that's, that's a spy. They're not going to know. If they're really defunct, they're going to say, oh, let's just love on them and let God take care of the rest. You see, the whole purpose of these spies, servants of Satan, is to bring us into bondage. You see, now, if we're in the field, we're in that particular fellowship and we're Bereans and we go and we go to our our Sunday study. We have our Bible study. We have, you know, prayer meetings. But, and you know, in Sunday study, there's a lot of people. Wednesday study, smaller group prayer meetings, smaller group. Nobody shows up. And then at the same time, we have our own private home fellowships. You and me, we have our own private home fellowship. And we do our own private studies. We do our own private prayer time. And it's just, we're in the field, but we're growing and we're maturing in Christ. Remember where two or more are gathered? And then at the same time, now we have this ability to say, wait a second, this guy's a spy. I know this pastor is saying, let's just love on this guy and, you know, let God take care of the rest. But, you know, he seems kind of defunct to me. It's not exactly clear, but wow, he... It's starting to appear that he's really defunct, this pastor and the elders. It's starting to appear that they're really defunct because like nobody's standing up against this doctrine that's coming into the church that has infected the church by this spy. Except you and me. We know, wait a second, this guy is dangerous. You see? It's so powerful when we study the Bible and understand these things and know that the battle is fierce and the battle rages. It was raging 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years. And it's raging even more today because Satan knows his time is short. And these guys, they come in the spies that they might bring us into bondage. Now, this is one aspect, using the law. And this is a very, very dangerous, uh, very dangerous because these people who come in the fellowships, even today, they use the law, meaning they use the Torah. Genesis, the first five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Torah, the first five books, the Pentateuch. That's what they use. And it's very dangerous because They come in with a Bible in hand. Now, a Christian would look at that and be like, wow, this guy's my brother. This lady's my sister. But then what happens when the guy starts teaching? Oh, yeah, let's go start doing the works of Moses. Wow, Moses taught. Let's start doing these things of the law. You see, it's a trap. It's a trap. Now, you have to listen to our study, the introduction to the book of Galatians. You must, because we look at aspects of the law to understand the purpose of the law and the rich is still holy. It's still holy. It's just the lesser light, the lesser glory. And so we see this in verse 5. To whom we did not yield submission either, even for an hour, translates as even for an instant. I love this so much. Because Paul in this group, remember, he doesn't go among babies. He doesn't go in among babies. And in verse 2, when he says, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Who does he verify that with? How do, How is Paul? Now, this is Paul now. Now, so he's somewhat of a baby. We're 14 years deep in his own growth in Christ from the Damascus road. And then at the same time, we see, wait a second, when, when he goes to make sure, lest he run in vain, whether he had run or might run, he doesn't go to the babies, you see. He goes to the more mature, those of reputation. Now, what's the reputation? Godliness. Godliness, that's the reputation. Real influencers. Godliness. The only way you're gonna know real influencers in according to, in accordance with the spirit, the only way is through the word. Through the word. Because some, oh look, that guy's a pastor, he's an influencer. Oh, by the way, he wants us to go grape soaking. Look, he has a million followers on social media. He's an influencer of death. Oh, look, this guy's an influencer. He's got a million followers on social media. Oh, by the way, he says, take the mark of the beast and you'll still be saved. No, he's an influencer of death. The only way you'll be able to know a real influencer is to be a Berean yourself. You see? Because then you'll know, wow, you know what? This guy has like two friends on social media and it's... Me and this other guy, <laughs> you know, this guy has one friend on social media and it's me. But yet, wow, I read my Bible. I'm a Berean. And like everything aligns. Everything aligns perfectly. That's the only way you'll be able to know the real influencers. You have to be a Berean. Because if you're not a Berean, you're going to follow the foolish, the one who have, the ones who have a million followers on social media. Yeah, they're an influencer in accordance to the world. Influencer of death. You see? And for this special group, Paul and this uh, this special private separate fellowship, in verse 5, we did not yield submission even for an hour. We didn't yield to them. These people who came in secretly by stealth, smuggled in. They might have just spoke for two minutes, five minutes. Like, what? I'm mean, that's what's so beautiful about maturity. Because you know these things. You grow, you mature, and now it's safe. Now, this is more of a worker perspective. And Paul says, we did not yield submission even for an hour. Not even not even for an instant. You see, there's safety behind maturity, safety with maturing in Christ. And he says that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. I love this so much, the truth of the gospel. You say, wait a second. Why? Why don't we just love these guys and you know let God take care of the rest? God is taking care of it through His vessels, and His vessels aren't even yielding submission to this diatribe that is being spoken. No, like, why? Why should we go to the law? Why should we be brought under bondage when we're free in Christ? No. See, the purpose of these servants of Satan, that they might bring us into bondage, the end of verse 4. But the purpose of these servants of the Lord, in verse 5, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you or might remain with you. You see? It's, It's almost like a vetting process, like a spiritual vetting process. This is something that rarely happens in the church today. In the church today, people just want warm bodies. Oh, we got uh, uh, the, the, uh, an opening with the uh, youth pastor. The, the youth pastor, he's uh, got another job or whatever. The youth pastor, he's uh, hes sick or he's going to go take care of his mom or the youth pastor, is whatever, you know. So we have this opening, so... We need a warm body over here. You, 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 a guy raises his hand. Okay, you do it. We're going to pray for you. We're going to ordain you. And boom, you're in ministry. There's no vetting process. Spirit, In accordance with the word of God, there's no vetting process. And so pastors, I'm doing my air quotes, they take it upon themselves. Okay, we're going to ordain you. Boom, boom, boom. Okay, here, you're a pastor. Now you're a youth pastor. But how do you, How do you know that's not a servant of Satan? How do you know he's not a spy? How do you know he's not a spy to bring a person into bondage, spiritually speaking, using false doctrine? But how do you know he's not going to harm the little ones, you know, children sexually? How do you know he's not going to molest a teenage girl or a teenage boy? How do you know these things? Pastor, I'm doing my air quotes. How do you know? But yet these are things that are happening in the church today. No vetting process. What does the Bible say? Well, we see the vetting process right here in this small group that privately uh, with those of reputation, a little separate fellowship. They have a little conversation with this spy that brought in to bring us into bondage five minutes of speaking, maybe two minutes, maybe 20 minutes. We're not going to yield submission to this guy. He's crazy town. He's a servant of Satan. He has a fourth tongue. His father is Satan. His father is the devil. There's no way we're going to allow him to teach in the fellowship. There's no way we're going to allow him to teach anybody. No way. You see? the function the purpose for these workers is at the end of verse 5 that the truth of the gospel might continue with you you see it's the vetting process which is found lacking today in today's fellowships you see in verse 6 but some of those who seem to be something Whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. I love Paul so much. I'm so in love with Paul. He says, from, from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. I love that. Because, you know, what if these preacher guys came in? The, they were smuggled in and they're sitting there in a, a table with Paul and Cephas and James and John and Barnabas is there and Titus is there. And they're sitting at the table with their uh, job applic- or their application, you know, their job application. And they have their resume with them. And they give, here, Paul, here's my job application. Here, James, you want to look at my resume? And they say, well, okay, wow, well, you know, look, so you, you were, you were a pastor over here. You were an elder over here. Okay. But that was a defunct church. What did you do about these problems? That was a, a defunct. There were problems. There were, were things of the flesh that were going on over there. What did you do about the problem? What did you do about that? You see, and I don't want to say like, I don't want to put it like in a formality of, you know, like, like in to introduce rigor to the fellowships. But I say this to give you an example of this vetting process. So the guy gives his, his resume. He gives his little printouts of, you know, this is my education. I went to this theology school. I went to, you know, I'm a theologian over here. I got a doctorate over here. I got a master's in this. I minored in this. And here's my other bachelor's and and whatever. I got all these things. I went to seminary over here. Look how awesome I am. But then look at what Paul says here in verse 6. From those who seemed to be something, I wonder how many, if they were not workers I wonder if those in the field would look at those same papers, those same copies of the uh, the, the, the the certificates, and you know, the guy's a theologian. The guy went to this seminary. The guy went to this theological school. The guy was a you know interim professor over here, and he taught the Bible. He taught. I wonder how many people would be like, "Whoa, this guy is qualified. Whoa, this guy is awesome. Surely he knows he knows what he's talking about." Wow, surely he must be pastor because we need to ordain him as pastor because, look, he he knows his stuff. But that's just paper. That's just paper. Seminary, what I call cemetery in these last days. That's just, what does the Bible say? And Paul says, from those who seem to be something, yeah, they got the paper, got the... The accolades, they got the degrees, they got the certificates they went to this seminary, they got this, they got that. And the, yes, they do seem to be something. Whatever they were. It makes no difference to me. I love that. Because you know who our final authority is? Jesus Christ. And the Word became flesh. Genesis to Revelation. The Word became flesh. He's the final authority. Oh, but this guy's got his degree. Look, he's a professor over here. Look, he went to this seminary. Look, he did this. Yeah, but he also calls glitter the Holy Spirit. So, bye-bye. He's out of here. Oh, but okay, look at this other guy. Look, he's got this degree. He's got his master's. He's got this. He's got his study Bibles. Yeah, but he also says you can take the mark of the beast and you'll still be saved. So, bye-bye. Gone with that guy. You see? Oh, but there's this other guy. Okay, let's look at this other guy. He's got this, bada bing, bada boom. The certificate's over here. Look how awesome he is. Okay, he's a grave soaker. He wants to go grave soaking. Okay, there's this other guy. Look, he's got his crazy love. He's got his unity and all these things. Okay, he he does the grave soaking. He hangs out with the grave soakers. So, bye-bye. I love that. In verse 6. Those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. Because you know what? Jesus Christ is our final authority. And with what whatever is being taught by these so-called people who seem to be something. Now notice, they seem to be something. With carnal eyes, you can look at them and go, like, wow, this guy's a pastor. Wow, this guy should be an elder. This guy should be in ministry. This guy should be an evangelist. But what's inside? Have you ever talked to computer geeks? I mean, you can go to like at the computer store and be like, wow, this is such an awesome computer. This is like the best computer. It's got this. And you don't even know what it is. It just has this long list of stuff. And you see like, wow, this is the awesomest computer. But then you go to the computer store with your, your computer geek friend. And the computer geek is just like, eh, nah, this is a piece of garbage. You're like, what? But look, it's so expensive. Surely it's gotta be good. Look, it, look at the list. It's got this and bada bing, bada boom. You know, here, there. It's got all these things. And you look at your computer geek, geek, geek friend and he's, no, no, this is a piece of trash. You know, suckers buy into this. Suckers are going to pay $5,000 for a computer. The suckers are going to buy, pay $8,000 for this computer. You see, because the computer geek knows. The same thing applies with the Word of God. Oh, look! This pastor he has got to study Bible. All these things, but the one who studies the Bible. You see, what about the one who studies the Bible, and knows the Bible, not just studies but knows the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, major the Torah, major prophets, minor prophets, New Testament. What about the one who knows the Bible? And then can look at, you know, everybody who's marveling at the, you know, wow, look at this fancy computer over here, or look at this fancy pastor over here. No, that's it's garbage. It's garbage. Take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. That's poison. Grave soaking and abomination. Wickedness. You wanna follow that guy? You see? It's so powerful because we see here in verse 6 from those who seem to be something. They absolutely seem to be something. You know, Satan equips his servants to have this appearance because they're spies. I mean, a lot of, you know, people have these, you know, these ideas of what a spy looks like. You know, the spy looks like this. Got this, the big guy, you know, it's got the muscles and a fighter and all these things. But you know what the real spies look like? Just average Joe. Maybe, you know, a big belly, you know, maybe a maid in a hotel, a maid in hotel. And, you know, there's a meeting between world leaders and, you know, they have a little private conversation and there the maid walks by and what is she doing? She's, just you know, pretending like she's dusting the counter, dusting this, dusting that. But she's listening, getting intelligence. Like, wait a second, the movies has this big buff guy as the spy. But in real life, the spy is like this little old lady who's a maid. That's the real spy. And so the same thing applies. Yes, they appear to be something. Satan, he polishes his servants. He polishes his servants. Oh, wow, look, this guy looks like a pastor. Look, he's got this, he's got that, and, you know, polished over here, polished over there. But what's inside? Just like the computer geek. Yeah, this computer on the outside, it looks brand new. It's got the shiny this, shiny that. But what's on the inside? What's on the inside, and what is the functionality of those things that are inside? And the p- computer geek knows, no, that's garbage. It's a piece of trash. It's, it's 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 useless. The same thing with the one who knows the Bible. You see, that's why we have to be Bereans, even more so in these last days. Yeah, they seem to be something. Satan polished up this guy, looks like this, and yeah, he's got the degrees, he's got these things, but their whole objective of the servants of Satan, the Suda Adelphos, the fake brothers, or the fake apostles, what we looked at in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, is to bring them into bondage, bring saints into bondage. It's an attack. Do you see? It's an attack. And Paul says, those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. In verse 6, God shows personal favoritism to no man. Remember, God is no respecter of persons. God is no respecter of persons. Because he himself looks on the inside. He himself looks on the inside. See? Male, female, it doesn't matter. Old Testament, New Testament. He looks at the heart. The world will say, oh, you know, we hate you, we hate you, get out of here, you're nothing. But the Lord will look at your heart and say, that's my guy, that's my gal. Old Testament, New Testament, that's what he does. Ostracized from society. But yet the Lord says, that's my guy, that's my gal, and I'm going to use her, I'm going to use him. You see, God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. See how powerful that is? That's the beauty of maturing in Christ. Now, I'm going to tell you something interesting. And it's not boasting. It's not speaking highly of maturing in Christ. But the the more that you mature in Christ, the less teachers you're going to have. And I mean like, you know, like when you're a baby in Christ... You might have a guy who teaches. Now, I say a guy specifically because, you know, pastors, always male. Elders, always male. Wherever you see pastors as female, wherever you see females as elders or pastors, run. They're not following the formula. It's the wrong formula. It's unbiblical. Pastors, elders, always male. I don't care whatever any in the last days. Remember, there's four categories of the church in the last days. It is either false, apostate. Entering apostasy or it is true. Remember. So uh, to divvy it all up equally, that's uh, 25% is the true church. It's probably more like 15 10%. But to d- divvy it up equally, I'll say 25%. That means 75% of fellowships are doing it wrong. It's the last days. I mean, you walk into a church, say you walk into a new church and they say, okay, Pastor Jennifer is going to teach. Walk up, walk away. I'm out of here. It's not the right formula. Oh, you're such a legalist. Why are you going to follow the Bible like that? It's so easy. Jesus Christ is the one who says, if you love me, follow me. You're not in the wrong. They're in the wrong. You see? For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. And the more you mature in Christ, the, the less, t- less teachers you're going to have. It's, that's just, how it is. Now, when I say the less teachers you're going to have, I don't say that boastfully. I don't say that pridefully. But you're going to grow. It would be like that calculus example. You and me, we're sitting in calculus. And then all of a sudden, we're going to sit in calculus and then sit in preschool. And the preschool teacher's going to teach us. OK, you're going to advance. Go to first grade now. The first grader is going to teach us. We're like in, you know, grade, I don't know. Beyond 12, we're like in grade 15. I mean, speaking like in a college sense, but in a number scale. We're like on grade 15. And we're going to sit in the classroom of the preschool, the first grade, the second grade. What can we be taught in an academic sense? What can we be taught? And I don't say that pridefully or I don't say that boastfully. Usually, when you reach that point usually, and you honor the Lord, you love the Lord, you fear the Lord, and you desire to live for Him and honor Him for the rest of your life, and the Lord knows. It's not just how you feel in your heart. The Lord knows your heart. Usually when that happens, the Lord will call you into ministry, pastoral ministry or ministry as elder or teacher. Usually. I don't want to say 100% of the time, but it's up there. In my experience, when I have had these conversations with pastors, real pastors, not the pastors who want the million followers on social media, the pastors who have like one follower on social media, those guys. Usually what happens... As they grow, as they mature, as they study being a Berean and they have the understanding of the Old Testament and New Testament, understanding how everything in the Old Testament points to Christ, the fulfillment of the law, and they have this understanding. It's usually at that point where the Lord says, okay, now I'm calling you into pastoral ministry, usually, majority of the time. This is based on conversations I've had with other pastors, you see. But I'll say this, among those who haven't matured, among those who have rejected their responsibility to mature, Satan also calls them into pastoral ministry. You see, Satan calls the defunct because he knows, I'm going to mess up this church. I want this church to be messed up. I want this church to be destroyed. You see? Satan calls the baby, Satan calls the defunct into leadership. You see, it's the formula has to be followed. The biblical formula. Who is it that desires to mess up the formula? Satan and his workers, his ministers, fake brothers, Sudadelfos, fake brothers, fake sisters, apostolos, the fake apostles, fake messengers, Present. They're all polished up. They look like they're servants of the Lord. They look like it, but what's on the inside? Like the computer geek, what's on the inside? No, this computer's not a good computer. You see, what's on the inside? I mean, you look. One time, I was at a restaurant and I, I like a, it was like a cobbler. I forgot what it was. Like a peach cobbler or something. Or maybe it was like a, a blueberry pie. And I ordered it. And then they brought it out, and I was like, wow, you know, this looks delicious. This is awesome. I took my first bite, and it tasted like garbage. I spit it out. The waiter came, what's the matter? You know, this is like supposed to be good pie. But it turns out what happened in the kitchen is that they used salt instead of sugar. And so I put it in my mouth. It was in my mouth, and I just spit it out. And was, It looked like the – before I took my first bite, it looked like pie. Everything looked good. But when it was in my mouth, was it good? No it wasn't you see same thing same thing you go to church everything you park your car you walk inside everybody's like oh praise the Lord. everybody speaks christianese and the pastor walks out you know looks like a guy but then in as he reveals turns out he's a former female you know you have a transgender as pastor nope that's not the formula that's not the formula Man, we got to get blue juice in the puff of smoke. Remember, if you're listening, you're like, what are you talking about blue juice? Listen to our study through 1st and 2nd Corinthians. We have to follow the formula. Like in chemistry class, you know, everything has to follow. a Little dabble of this, a little sprinkle of that, a little this, little that, and blue juice, and boom, a puff of smoke. That's the whole objective. Speaking of classroom environment, the formula has to be followed Accurately. That's why these servants of Satan with this group, this separate private fellowship that was happening. In verse 5, we didn't yield submission to these guys. We knew that they spoke poison. We knew it. Yeah, these seem to be like something. They seem to be. But no. What do they bring to the table? No. And Paul is saying, look, for those who seem to be something added nothing to me. Paul's not boasting to say, wow, look how awesome I am. No, it's a fact. His knowledge base is high. (laughs) His knowledge base in the Word of God, Old Testament, New Testament, is a lot higher than the average bear. How many times do you remember in our study in the book of Acts? How many times did you hear us mention he's not like the average bear, even among the apostles? His knowledge base is very, very high. Old Testament, New Testament. Remember, a student of Gamaliel. Gamaliel. When he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And now as a believer in Jesus Christ, standing firmly on the rock. Now he's equipped. Remember, he's deadly. He went to the synagogue. Not just trying to convince people that Jesus was the Messiah or is the Messiah. He was straight up proving, using the law, that Jesus is the Messiah. That's what he was doing. And he became a threat. And they says, we got to kill this guy now. You see? And Paul's not boasting and saying, for those who seem to be something added nothing to me. There's no boast in that at all. But you're going to experience that too, provided if you are a Berean. And you grow, and you study the Bible, and you mature, and you mature, and you're going from fifth grade to sixth to ten to twenty to thirty, and you're maturing in Christ. And you have this knowledge base. Now, knowledge puffs up. Remember, knowledge is not the greatest gift. Knowledge is a gift of the Holy Spirit, but it's not the greatest gift. And yet, you're still maturing, and you have this knowledge base, laying aside those the elementary things. Now, when I say that, remember. Hebrews chapter 6 teaches that, teaches this very concept in hebrews 6 i'm going to read it you can turn there if you'd like but in hebrews 6 6 chapter 6 verse 1 says therefore leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of christ let us go on to perfection not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward god of the doctrines of baptism of laying on of hands of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment these elementary things we're moving on and when you do that, you're going to see that too. There are few teachers, few teachers that can expound the Bible because you know, you've, you've been to first grade already. You've excelled in first grade. You've excelled in second, third, fourth. You've excelled. And if that's you, the Lord will probably, it's, it's, it's prob- probable that the Lord will call you into ministry. It's if you're male, it's probable, it's likely, or I should say it like this: Don't be surprised if the Lord taps on your heart and says, "Okay, now I want you to be a pastor." Don't be surprised if that happens. I shouldn't say probable, even though it's it's highly likely, but don't be surprised if the Lord says, "Okay, now I want you to be a pastor." Because you've excelled in these things. No boasting whatsoever. But I'll say this. You know, when Paul says here, uh, for those who seem to be something added nothing to me, he's not boasting and saying that. But I'll also say this. Teachers, when you reach this point or when you reach the point of uh, very few teachers can add to you, in a classroom environment, you'll find that to be true. But in the field environment, you'll find that to be false, because those who teach you are the doers. You see, those who teach are the doers. You see, it's kind of like the concept, you know, like you. uh, Now I was gonna make a comment about you know the saying about teachers, but I'll I'll leave it alone. But when you reach that point where the Lord is calling you into pastoral ministry, now you're going to have few teachers in the classroom, but you're going to have a lot of teachers in the field, meaning the prayer warriors, those who love, you know, these excellers in other spiritual gifts. And when the Lord starts compiling those people around you, it just, it just happens. It just, it, it, it's supernatural. The, the Lord just brings it together. And the Lord just, it, it, I don't want to say coincidence, but because it, it's not a coincidence. But it just so happens that the Lord starts to make this bubble, to create this bubble. And then at the same time, that's more of a war footing. That's straight up like hand-to-hand combat. That's straight up like the Lord is forming your platoon. The Lord is forming your squad. The Lord is forming your fire team. And it's beautiful when that happens. You see that in the book of Acts. You see that I in the reference of the bubbles in 1st and 2nd Corinthians. The reference of the bubble here in Galatians. That's that's what the Lord does. You see? You know what Satan does? He's a bubble popper. He likes to pop those. You see? And the Lord, he makes these bubbles, Satan pops. And the Lord makes the bubbles, Satan pops. That's what happens. That's what Paul is saying here. Remember, he's giving this little history lesson to the Galatian saints because he's about to hammer the Galatian saints just like he hammered the, the saints in Corinth. Now, I, I don't say that in a in a bad way. I mean, if iron's going to sharpen iron, some, some hammering has to happen if iron is going to sharpen iron. But I'll say this too. Uh, styrofoam doesn't sharpen iron. There's a lot of styrofoam in the church. A lot of babies in the church babies don't sharpen adults it's the adults that sharpen babies you see it's the adult spiritually speaking it's the spiritual adults that sharpen babies now there's a beauty to the babies because of the exuberance of life that you see in the youth and those can definitely be a tremendous asset in a fellowship and also to the teachers the parental figures so to speak spiritually speaking but then at the same time, it's dangerous to use a novice to take a baby and send about out in pastoral ministry. Don't do that. You see? Those who seem to be something added nothing to me, Paul is saying. He says this in verse 7. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcised which speaking of Gentiles, had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter. This is so beautiful how the Lord works because Peter was a fisherman. Now, uh, speaking in terms of classes of society, fishermen were on the low end of the totem pole, so to speak and i'm just saying totem pole as a frame of reference i'm not advocating you know the you know if you're familiar with the native american you know it's not that type of worship or anything that's that's not good i'm just saying he's on the low end of the totem pole Uh, in a societally speaking uh fisherman it's like um i don't know think of like a vocation that nobody wants that nobody desires and it's like okay that's peter very interesting because you take and you know they refer to him as the stupid class you know the unlearned class and it's very interesting how the lord works because he takes the unlearned peter peter i'm doing my air quotes here the unlearned peter and sends him to the learned (laughs) you see he takes the learned paul and says sends the learned paul to the unlearned gentiles (laughs) now if we were if we were uh, generals in a military environment, if we were generals, you know how stupid that would be? You send the, the incapable to one theater and you send the, uh, the capable to another theater that is in completely opposing uh, uh, opposing the ability of the ones that we send. It's But with the Lord, His ways are not our ways. The Lord uses the foolishness of the world. He uses foolishness to confound the wise. I mean, if we had an objective and we said, OK, look, we we got this this uh, group of learned people here. Who are we going to send to the learned people to achieve this objective? We say, OK, let's send the learned so that they can, you know, they can, you know, know each other. They can speak on the same things. They can have this level of understanding. And so let's send the learned guy over there. And what about these unlearned people? Okay, let's send the unlearned guy over there because they can relate and because if we send the learned guy to the unlearned, they're not gonna relate very well and all these things, so let's not do that. Now I'm speaking very carnally in saying that. But with the Lord, whose ways are not ours, he does the exact opposite. He flips the script. He says, no, nope, let's take the learned guy and send him to the unlearned. And I'm gonna take the learned guy and send him to the unlearned, I'm gonna take the unlearned guy and send him to the, the, guy him to the learned. And you know what's so beautiful is when Peter, the unlearned, I'm doing my air quotes, the so-called unlearned, when he went and spoke to the religious leaders, they marveled. They marveled. They were like, "What in the world? I thought this guy was a fisherman, and he's teaching us about the law. How does he know these things about the law? He didn't. Wasn't in synagogue as a, since he was a child. He never went to university with us. He was never look. He's poor. He didn't. How could he afford to go to college? How could he afford to this higher learning, this higher education? How could he afford university? How is it that he knows these things? And they marvelled because he was a so-called unlearned one. How does he know these things? And then they remembered that he walked with Jesus. They still wanted to kill him. They still beat him and imprisoned him. But they knew he walked with Jesus, you see. And he was also a threat. You see, and the Lord uses that the Lord does that to confound them so that they can marvel, whoa, this what's what's with this guy? It would be it would be an easier pill to swallow to say okay, They sent the learned to us. So, you know, I get that. But when it's the unlearned teaching, when it's the the one who, you know, Peter didn't go to university. He was a fisherman. That's kind of like the low end of society. And he's speaking about deep, deep, deep spiritual matters. Old Testament, New Testament. Speaking about Isaiah and everything that Isaiah says correlates to what Peter says, this fisherman. And they marveled. They marveled and they were dumbfounded. And then they remembered, oh, he's a Christian. He walks with Jesus. It's the Lord who told him. You see, they marveled. And that's what the Lord does to confound the wise. That's what he does. He chooses the foolish things of the world. So if you're ever in a situation where you are... I don't want to say you desire to boast because I don't want you to desire to boast. But if you're ever in a position where you appear to be boasting, maybe you do have that little arrogance in your heart. Remember that the Lord chooses the stupid. (laughs) Remember that the Lord chooses the foolish things of the world. So, you know, if ever that, you know, that's inflated is getting bigger and bigger. Boom. The Lord just sticks a needle right in it. Get back down to earth. look what happens here the lord in verse 7 but on the contrary when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised was to peter for he speaking about the lord for god who worked effectively in peter or mightily in peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively or mightily in me toward the gentiles and when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars or foundational, yes, they seemed to be foundational, and they were foundational. But remember, this is somewhat new to Paul because Paul was like, remember the uh, he had to be introduced by Barnabas to the, to, the, to the apostles. Because remember, in his former ways, he was a killer of Christians. He would persecute them and have them beaten and imprisoned and killed. That's Paul in his former self as Saul. Remember. And so, like, I mean, what would you do? What would you do if you were in that so you, 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 there There's a picture on the church wall. Okay, this guy kills Christians, this guy. And you're walking down the street or you go to a home fellowship. You walk into a home fellowship and you see the guy sitting down there. He's teaching, but you see them guys. Hey, well, that's, the, that's the picture on the wall. Oh, my goodness. This guy is dangerous. Everybody run. He's going to imprison us. He's going to beat us. He's going to have us killed. You see what would you do and that's what that's what happened in the fellowships back then, and Barnabas had to come, no, 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 this guy's a Christian. this guy's a Christian it's okay he's he's one of us, yeah, he did those things, yeah, he killed and, and imprisoned and all the terrible terrible things remember. Paul using the law when he would referred to his former conduct in chapter 1 verse 13 how he persecuted the church of God beyond the measure and tried to destroy it using the law trying to destroy the saints destroy the church using the law and so Paul was kind of new to these to these pillars because they had to accept him and these pillars rightfully so they had to vet him they had to vet him. Just just like the pseudo-apostolos in verse 4. Just like the servants of Satan who came in by stealth, by uh, 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 being smuggled in, that they might bring us into bondage. These, uh, the real apostles, they had to vet. They had to vet, okay, Paul, he's one of us. We see it. We see the, everything aligns. We see it. And that's what's so beautiful, the the safety with maturity. Because... You can, you have, the Lord gives you that ability, which is a discernment as a gift. Okay. This guy, poison. This guy, good. This other guy, poison. This other guy, poison. This other guy, good. This lady, good. This other lady, poison. You see? This lady who's a pastor, poison. This lady who's a teacher, good. You see? How beautiful that the Lord shows us these things. And so we see that here when Paul is referencing his history, giving a little history lesson to help the Galatian saints. He says in verse 9, And when James, Cephas, and Cephas is Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. You see? uh, barnabas says hey guys this is paul yeah he's formerly saul you knew him as saul and yes his picture's on the wall and says dangerous avoid this guy at all costs and he kills us he prisons us and all these things but look here he is (laughs) here he is right here right with me and imagine that i'm like what and they had to do a little vetting process too and they perceived that yes he's good to go he's one of us Look how good the Lord is, the handiwork of our Lord. and they say, yes, okay, Paul Barnabas, join us, join us in the right hand of fellowship, you see? And the mature, that's the beauty of maturity, because you can know and have this discernment. the the, 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 the group of the pseudadelphos, the fake, the false, the foe. Nope, no entry. no entry because you're poison. Paul, okay, come on and join us in this fellowship. Barnabas, okay, join us in this fellowship. Remember, Barnabas isn't his real name. That was his nickname. His real name was Joseph. They, the apostles named him Barnabas, son of encouragement. Let's see. And they gave me, he says in verse 9, and me and Barnabas, the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the, to the circumcised. Now you see in this battlefield. Remember, you and I at the peak of the mountain, we're looking down. Now you see the peak of uh, the, the battlefield, everything being arranged, everything, all these things. The Lord working through the apostles, the Lord working through his workers, and you just see battle, combat. You see defensive postures, you see offense. Beautiful warfare. See, that's that's what the Bible teaches. That's what's so powerful about reading the epistles with the overlay of the book of Acts. Consider like the book of Acts as the map, you know, or, you know, the, the landscape of the land. But then when you read what happens in certain towns in the book of Acts, you know, put a little pin on the map, you know, a pin and. You see, like, the, the battle over here, you know, and you put, like, a, a red pin over here. These are saints, a, a yellow pin over here. This is Satan, you know, a, a red pin over here. Look, the saints over here, the red, the yellow pin. That's Satan. His messengers are over here, yellow pin over here, and you advance. Okay. Yellow pin getting closer to the red, yellow pin getting closer to the red. And in some cases, the yellow pin goes into the red and then the red becomes yellow because Satan is, you know, infecting bringing saints into bondage you see it's sad i don't mean to gloss over it and say like okay that's what's happening but that's what's happening and i don't mean to gloss over it like you know it's no big deal it's a huge deal it's not a small thing it's a huge deal but where are the warriors where in the world are the warriors who will stand up and say not on my watch this is happening where are the protectors of the sheep and the lamb where are they You see, nowadays you have pastors and elders who themselves are yellow pins, servants of Satan. And they go into fellowships and teach fellowships of red pins. And in the course of times, all those red pins will become yellow pins. You see, servants of Satan. You know who the bad guys are in the last days? In the church, you know who the bad guys are? I'm doing my air quotes, the so-called bad guys, the red pins. The godly pastors, the godly shepherds. They're the bad guys in the last days. Oh, you're so mean. How dare you? So what if this guy wants to have sex like crazy? Let's just love him and let God take care of the rest. So what if this guy wants to be on meth for the rest of his life? No big deal. Let's just love on him and let God take care of the rest. So what if this pastor molested this teenager? So what? Fools, they're yellow pins. Servants of Satan. Servants of Satan. And you know what's happening? Just like in Galatia, just like in Corinth, the church is putting up with it. They might well put up with it, and they are putting up with it. This is what he says in verse 10. When it was uh, uh, determined by James, Cephas, and John, yes, join us in fellowship. Paul, Barnabas, you go to the Gentiles, and we're going we're gonna to go to the Jews. You guys go to the Gentiles, we'll go to the Jews. He says in verse 10, they desire only that we should remember the poor. Mission accomplished. Remember our study in 2 Corinthians, the Macedonian example, the poor. So beautiful when you see how the Lord in the Old Testament and New Testament, remember, he never changes, and you see the care that he has for the poor. Now, I teach from America. I teach from America and, you know, I kind of have a biased a, a bias against the poor in America. Because America is one of the few countries where you see the poor people, they're fat. You know, you look at India, poor people in India, you see their bones, you see their ribs, their elbows, or like, you know, all kinds of weird shapes. Because you actually see like the bone structure, you see like the ligaments, and their skin is like skin tight, it's like a... Like as tight of a, tight as a drum on their skin. You look at African countries, you look at China, you look at Russian land, Russian, Russian regions, and you look at the poor, they're like bones. You can see like, you know, you know how like the arm, how it's set, the forearm, how it separates in the two, you can see like the two bones. But in America, the poor people are fat. In America, the poor people they got their flat screens in America. the poor people they got their cell phones in America. The poor people get their you know their food stamps in America. The poor people get free housing, free food, free health care, free phones you know they get their free food they're you know they're obese. But in the third world, when you look in like South America and certain countries in South America, Central America and Africa and different regions, the poor, you know, the poor, you don't even have to ask, you know, like, whoa, this guy's poor. In America, you don't see that. Now, that's my bias. Like, if you're American, I love you. If you're poor, I still love you. But proof is in the pudding. I mean, we all have eyes. We see it. You know, you, you, you I mean, we have eyes. So, I mean, you its it's not really disputable. That's it's not it's it's a bias against the American poor But when you look at the poor in other regions of the world, you see straight-up poverty straight-up poverty And if you're poor and you know, I want you to know that we pray for you if you're poor in America We pray for you But if you're poor in other parts of the world in persecuted regions, I want you to know that we pray for you And at the same time, you know, we want you to grow We want us to grow as a people of the way wherever you are in the world. I don't care I'm going to care, but I don't care. Like, you know, you could be in China, you could be Russia, you could be whatever, you could be here, there, everywhere. But a people of the way, a remnant of these last days, poor, middle class, wealthy, I could care less. Black, white, you know, blue, purple, I don't care. A remnant of these last days, a people living to honor Jesus Christ. You see? And these saints, James, Cephas, and John, they says, okay, join us. You will go to the Jews. You go to the Gentiles. Only this. Remember the poor. And you see the Macedonian example. You see, mission accomplished. They remembered the poor. And they were a blessing on the poor. And the poor was a blessing not just to them but to the fellowships. Remember the Macedonian example. The very thing which I was also eager to do. You see, everything aligns. The servant, the servants of the Lord telling other servants of the Lord, do this in accordance with the Lord. And the, uh, the, the, Paul and Barnabas as servants of the Lord, they're not just eager to do it, but like, you know, th- this is, we're very eager to do it because the same Lord, same master, same spirit. Everything aligns perfectly, beautifully, wonderfully. Verse 11. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. I opposed him or resisted him to his face because he was to be blamed. What is it that Peter did? What is it that Peter said? He's to be blamed. He was at fault. He was found to be at fault with something. What was he doing? Well, let's see. Verse 12. For before Peter... For before certain men came from James, he, speaking about Peter, would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. Very interesting, Peter. Very interesting. Now, I'll give you an example. Say, for example, you're Gentiles. Say we have a group of Gentiles. We're five of us. In this group, five of us, a group of Gentiles. And, well, you're five and I'm one. So you're a group of five Gentiles and I'm one. And I'm Jewish. And just so you know, I'm, I'm a Gentile, but in this example, I'm Jewish. So there's five Gentiles sitting at the table and that you're one of them sitting at the table. And I'm a Jew and I come and join you. So we're a table of six. And I join you. We have a good time. We laugh. We pray. We fellowship. We, you know, discuss things of the Lord and everything is a beautiful conversation. And then all of a sudden, some Jews walk in. Five Jews walk in and they walk in and they're Jewish Christians and five Jews walk in. They're believers in Jesus Christ. Except just like the Pharisee example, you know, the former Pharisees who were believers, except they didn't want to let go of their uh, pharisaical tendencies. They walk in the door. These five Jews walk in the door. And I hop up. Remember, I'm a Jew. or I'm the sixth guy. I'm a Jew. I hop up. And I say, oh, I'm sorry, guys. Come on, let's go, let's go to this other room. Uh, I'm not going to hang out with these Gentiles. That, that's what Peter was doing. Give me an example of what Peter did. That's what he was doing. And that is why Paul withstood him or opposed and resisted him to his face. Because he was at fault. Peter was at fault. And that's what he was doing. Why? Because at the end of verse 12, he feared those who were of the circumcision. Imagine those little five Jews walk in the room and They look at you, they see, okay, here's five Gentiles. They look at me, I'm supposed to be Jew, and they tell me, how dare you sit at that table of Gentiles? You're Jewish, come on, be with us. How dare you do that? Now remember, in Christ, in Jesus Christ, not in the law, in Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the law, there is no male, female, slave, free, Jew, Gentile. You see, instead of me hopping up in that example, instead of me hopping up and say, oh, yeah, I'm not going to hang out with these Gentiles. I'm sorry, guys. And uh, uh, hey, Jews, five Jews, let's go to this other room. Let's have a nice fellowship and let's forget these Gentiles. Instead of that happening, what should have happened is I say, hey, five Jews, come on, come sit down. Look, let me introduce you to this guy. Let me introduce you to this guy. Let me introduce you to this this guy. Let me introduce you to these kids. Let me introduce you here. That's what should have happened. Because in Christ, not the law, in Christ, the fulfillment of the law, there is no Jew nor Gentile. If it were the other way around, I would have been fearing the Jews if I hop up and say, "Oh Jews, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have been hanging out with these gentiles they're they're dirty people, you know that I shouldn't be hanging out with these dirty people, and according to the law they're 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 not full blooded Jews, and I'm not going to hang out with these people. you see. No, no big deal. You know, you you might look at that and be like, well, it's no big deal. No, it's a huge deal. It's a very, very huge deal. Fearing those who are of the circumcision. Very interesting what fear, what fear does. We see what fear does in the Old Testament. I mean, we studied numbers. I mean, the little refresher course that Moses gives, we've stu- we, we know what fear does. Remember, 11 days became 40 years as a result of fear. See? Peter himself had fear. People do a lot of crazy things out of fear. Peter here, fearing those who were of the circumcision. Verse 13. And the rest of the Jews. Remember, they're Christian. They're Jewish Christians. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him. Very interesting. So Peter was behaving not just... Hypocritically in his behavior, he was a hypocrite. Remember, Peter's an influencer. A real influencer. But in this regard, he's making a major wrong. He's wrong here. And he's... Because he's an influencer, he's causing the rest of the Jews to play the hypocrite. Now, he played the hypocrite. He's playing the hypocrite. And in that example I gave, where I hop to, I hop up, hey, Jews, I'm sorry, let's go to this other house. Let's not hang out with these these dirty Gentiles. Nah, 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 let's get out of here. These dirty Gentiles. I'm not going to hang out here. We're not going to laugh. I know you heard us laughing, but that wasn't me. That was them. And let's go to this other house. These dirty Gentiles can stay over here. I'm playing the hypocrite. I would be the hypocrite. Instead, I should say, hey Jews, come on. Look, look at this guy. He's a great guy, you're gonna love him. Look at this gal. She's a great gal, you're gonna love her, and look at this, you're gonna uh, the introduction is made, and look, you're Jew, they're gentile, and so what? In Christ, there's no Jew, Gentile, we're all one in Christ because we're not in the law. We're abiding in the fulfillment of the law. In the law, absolutely i could hop up and say if i were in the law absolutely hop up and say nope we're not gonna hang out with these gentiles you see yeah but they believe in god okay they're grafted in but we're gonna do our own thing because we're like you know the full-blooded jew you know so yeah there's gentiles and they're they're grafted in but no nah, we're, we're full-blooded so we're gonna go do our own thing that's the law that's the law The law of Moses, who was a servant in the master's house. But are we of the law? Are we of the law? The hypocrisy of Peter. He played the hypocrite. And because he was an influencer, the Jews played the hypocrite. And then so that in verse 13, so that even Barnabas, the son of encouragement, was carried away with their hypocrisy or seduced with their hypocrisy. So that example I gave, that example I gave where I hop to, oh, let's not not hang out with these Gentiles. Let's go to this other house where it's just Jews. So all the Jews who are Christians, they're believers. Except nobody has the understanding to say, wait a second, that's not right. Nobody has that understanding to say, nobody of the Gentiles sitting down at the table, nobody has that understanding to say, hey, that's not right. Peter, you're in the wrong. So the five Jews that walk in the door, they say, okay, come on, let's go to that other house. Barnabas, he gets up. Okay, come on, let's go to that other house. Nobody has that level of understanding to say, wait a second. You are behaving in the law. Nobody has that understanding except for one. Look at verse 14. Now remember, how many times do you remember in our study through the book of Acts? Paul's not like the average bear. We said that on purpose for the book of Acts, but also for our studies in Romans, Corinthians, and here we are in Galatians. Now, also remember, Peter, the influencer, Barnabas, the influencer, these are heavy hitters. These are titans. These are titans. But Paul's not like the average bear. Nobody, now, I don't know the exact number. I just gave the example using me and... Me and as a Jew and me and five Gentiles and five Jews, and I'm giving that example. So a total of 10. But there could have been 20, 30, 40, 50. I don't know. There could have been more. And nobody in the bunch, either Jew or Gentile, nobody in the bunch, I don't want to say had the courage to speak up. That's one aspect. But nobody in the bunch had the knowledge base to understand what was happening. Except for one. In verse 14. But when I saw, this is Paul, using this historical example to the saints in Galatia who were being seduced to the law and who were in the law. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. Very interesting. Remember what was said in in, in verse uh, uh, 5. When, you know, we did not yield, this is verse five, to whom we did not yield submission, even for an hour, even for an instant, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. The truth of the gospel. Same thing that's written here in verse 14. When I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. And remember, there's freedom in Christ. And also in Christ, there's no Jew or Gentile. So this faction, this chasm between Jew and Gentile should be not just dissipated, should be gone, erased. And when Paul saw it, what was happening? I said to Peter before them all. Now, this is the beginning of the quote. The beginning of the quote, which ends at the end of the chapter. So it's a long dissertation, so to speak. But I want to say this. Peter is about to receive heavy chastisement, not in a private room, publicly, in that very room. He's about to receive public chastisement from Paul. And what's so beautiful is that you see a picture of Peter's humility. Peter's humility. Turn it to me really quick to Second Peter chapter three. Second Peter chapter three. And in Second Peter chapter three, verse fourteen, we see this. Peter exhorting the saints. He says, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. He doesn't say that jerk, Paul. He doesn't say, Oh, that meanie. He doesn't say, oh, look how mean-spirited he is. Oh, look, he chastised me publicly. He did this publicly. He should have taken me to a private room and said this, and he might have been in the wrong, but he should have taken me to a private room. But no, he wanted to be a jerk. He was so mean. He was crazy. He lost his mind, all these things. You don't see that. He says, as also our beloved brother Paul. He doesn't just say our brother Paul. He says, our beloved brother Paul, you see the humility of Peter. Yes, he's on the receiving end of correction in our passage in Galatians. But being on the receiving end of correction, remember what we studied in 2 Corinthians about godly sorrow? What godly sorrow produces? Repentance. It leads to repentance. You see? worldly sorrow if peter had worldly sorrow not to suggest heresy but if peter had worldly sorrow oh paul's such a jerk he's so mean-spirited how dare he he's crazy he lost his mind and going you know i'm gonna go tell everybody that paul is crazy i'm not gonna listen to him anymore look i'm gonna go to this other church across the street i'm gonna go to this other church across town i'm gonna go over here i'm gonna go over there i'm out of here that's worldly sorrow when little feelers get hurt but godly sorrow, when little feelers get hurt and they will get hurt, produces repentance, produces repentance. And not just that, which leads to salvation. There's that, which is beautiful. But there's more added. Listen to our study through Second Corinthians and you'll understand Verse 15, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written you, as also in all his epistles. Some of which we studied already. Romans, 1 Corinthians, Second Corinthians, Galatians, we're in it right now. Speaking in them of all these things in which are some things hard to understand. Yes, it's... They're hard to understand, but Peter is saying, hey, listen to Paul. Not just he knows his stuff, but the Lord is using Paul as a vessel to teach and to train. But then he pinpoints these other people, he says, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do the rest of scriptures. Peter is saying, don't follow these guys. The untaught, the unstable, don't follow them. The untaught, remember, ignorant ignorant the stupid unstable don't follow them the yellow pins don't follow the yellow pins follow the red pins you see untaught and unstable people they twist to their own destruction so if they're twisting scripture to their own destruction why would you follow them Oh, but I like the way he teaches. I like the way he says this. I like the way he does this. And he tells these jokes. And I like to go grave soaking. We have a good old time. We do this and all these things. Okay, okay, I get it. But is what being taught, w- w- what's being taught, does that align with the truth of Scripture? Does it align with the truth of Scripture, Genesis to Revelation? Oh, I don't know. I just trust that he's telling me what's right. Well, that's the danger behind not being a Berean. That's what babies do. You see? Oh, I think what he's saying is right, but, you know, I'm too lazy to read. it. I don't, I don't want to. I, I just want to watch my TV, play my video games, you know, do all these things, and I'm not going to read the Bible. Why should I do that? You see? That's called not being a Berean, which it presents many dangers in itself in this life, but even more so in the life to come. You see? Even more so in the life to come. Oh, but once saved, always saved. I did the altar call when I was 10 years old. Once saved, always saved, so I'm good to go. Okay. Okay. You say that in accordance to what the preacher guy says. He teaches once saved, always saved. But let me ask you something, my friend. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? What does the Bible teach? You see? The truth of the gospel. The truth of the Word of God, Genesis to Revelation. If these people, these untaught and unstable people, are twisting to their own destruction, if that's the path they're going on, why in the world would you follow them? You see? As Jesus Christ Himself says, the blind follow the blind. And if the blind follow the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Now. There's a ditch in this life. That's for sure. There's a lot of Christians in ditches because they follow the blind. And a lot of Christians in ditches are going to be in the last days. It's, you're going to find a lot of Christians in ditches in the last days. But praise be to the Lord. Praise be to the Lord. You know why? Because we can rescue them. You can rescue them. A lot of Christians in ditches as the pillars of that they hung their head on will fall, will fail. And you can save them because you're a Berean. You're studying. You rightly divide the word of God. You see? Beautiful Peter, you see his, yes, he was in the wrong in this passage in our study in Galatians, but you see his humility, beautiful, beautiful humility to say, Our beloved brother Paul. I'm so in love with Paul. Yeah, I was in the wrong. Yeah, I did this. I I, I got up and I said, okay, we're going to do this like the Jewish. And like, like in accordance to the law, we're going to do this. And I was in the wrong. And praise the Lord that Paul was there. Because yes, I played the hypocrite. And the Jews were, you know, they followed me. And Barnabas almost got seduced and sucked into that. And praise the Lord for Paul. And how the Lord is using Paul. You see, a Pharisee of Pharisees in his former ways, in his former conduct. A student of Gamaliel in his former conduct. But a student of the Lord. A messenger of Jesus Christ. An apostle of Jesus Christ. Let's go back to Galatians now. So we did this little side study on the humility of Peter. But here, it's hardcore. He's on the receiving end of chastisement publicly publicly in that example i gave in that example i gave where you know where you're a group of five gentiles and i'm the the sixth guy except i'm a jew five jews walk in and i hop to and i say oh you know what what, what i'm sorry guys i shouldn't be here with these dirty gentiles let's get out of here let's go to this other house barnabas gets sucked into that he gets up and starts walking with me and then paul walks around the corner sees what's happening says, hey what's what's going on here what's going on here Come on, let's go back in the house. So all of us now, we're in the house. And Paul says, what's happening, guys? And everybody's quiet. And then I start to speak. And I said, well, you know, here I was in the fellowship with the Gentiles. and But now the Jews walked in. And we were going to go over here to this, this house over here where all the Jews meet. And we we're going to go over there. And, you know, it, it, no big deal. And Barnabas was coming too. It's no big deal, Paul. No, yeah. no, no biggie. You know, let's just love and let God take care of the rest. Paul says, what? It's a huge deal. It's, it's no small thing, Peter. It's a big deal, Peter. And so, in this public chastising, this is what Paul says to Peter in verse 14, Galatians 2. <clears throat> if you, being a Jew... Live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews. Why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? Very interesting what we see here. Very interesting. Because in that example that I gave where I hop to and I say, Okay, Jewish, five Jews, let's go here to this house of the Jews and let's go over here. Let's leave these dirty Gentiles. Let's leave them over here. Barnabas gets up and he's sucked away and win my hypocrisy. Now, Remember, you're, you're the group of Gentiles. And you love the Lord. You love Jesus Christ. And you see me. I walked with Jesus Christ. I touched him. I held him. And he touched me and he washed my feet. And you're, why is, why is Peter going to this house? Does, we love Jesus Christ. Does that mean that maybe we, maybe we should do what Moses says? maybe we should get circumcised maybe we should okay look okay now let's start making plans i'm gonna go get circumcised and you're gonna go get circumcised and let's start doing the feasts and the festivals and you know observing these laws and let's start doing all these things because we love jesus christ look peter his disciple his apostle he walked with him look he's doing these things so instead of in verse 13, instead of the rest of the Jews playing the hypocrite, instead of Barnabas playing the hypocrite, look at the heavy cost it, that it brings to the church of both Jew and Gentile, you see? And remember, remember the landscape of warfare in verse 4, that these false brethren, the pseudadelphos. They're smuggled. They're secretly brought in who came by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. Now, I'm not suggesting that Peter is a pseudodelphal. I'm not suggesting that in any way, shape or form. But what I am saying is that the attack of Satan is always going to be there. The attack of Satan, the seduction of Satan, you see, which almost got Peter. I mean it did get Peter and it did get the Jews and it did get uh, Barnabas but praise the Lord that Peter or that Paul walked in because it didn't catch him a different animal not like the average bear remember Paul knew what was up Paul knew remember and he knows that Satan wants to bring Christians into bondage how does he do that well one of his tools is the law one of Satan's tools is the law you see, the Torah, the very words of Moses, that's one of his tools. Satan knows the Bible. Satan knows the Bible. You see, how many times people say, oh yeah, I read the Bible and the Lord is giving me direction for this. Okay, what about it is also written? What about it is also written? Knowing that Satan transforms himself as an angel of light. You see, it's an attack. And this attack that Satan had here, they almost fell for it. Well, you could say they did fall for it. They almost got sucked deeper into it. And so the Gentiles, remember, you're Gentiles sitting at the table and you're saying, okay, well, we love Jesus Christ. So now, because we see Peter doing this, now we're gonna go get circumcised and we're gonna do these things of the of Moses, the writings of Moses, because we love Jesus Christ. And Paul says in verse 14, if you being a Jew, Live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews. Why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? You see? Why do you compel? You, you're going to appease the Jewish Christians, but it comes at a heavy cost. What does it do to the Gentiles? Knowing that, because remember, Peter's an influencer. He's those of reputation, so he knows. He know It would be one thing if he were a baby Christian, because he just wouldn't know. But Peter himself is in a different class. He knows better. He's a worker. He knows. You see? It comes at what cost? Oh, I don't want to hurt this guy's feelings. I don't want to hurt this lady's feelings. So I'm going to appease them. You know, people always come up with these excuses. You know, I don't want this guy to stumble. I don't want this lady to stumble. So I'm going to appease their little feelers. I'm going to appease their feelers. And you know what they're doing? I mean, depending on what it is, but you know what they're doing? when A lot of times when they say stuff like that, it's like, okay, I'm not going to hurt this guy's feelings, but I don't mind hurting the feelings of the Holy Spirit. You see? I don't mind hurting God's feelings. Remember, the Lord is long-suffering long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. I don't mind hurting this guy's feelings, but who cares about the Lord's feelings? You see, I don't mind hurting, you know, I don't want to hurt this lady's feelings, but I'll go ahead and grieve the Holy Spirit. That's wrong. That's wrong. No, when we stand for the Lord, we honor Him, we glorify Him, and we bring Him All the glory, but at the same time, not vessels that grieve him. You see? And that's what Peter was doing. And he's receiving public chastisement. And you see the heart of Paul, the passage that we looked at in 2 Peter 3, you see the heart of, of Peter, I should say, that the heart of Peter in his humility, that he was corrected in a godly manner, just like we studied in 2 Corinthians. You see, and so we see this in verse 15, we, Paul is now including himself, speaking to Peter, they're both Jews, we who are Jews by nature, see they were born into it, they they weren't Gentiles and grafted in and doing the, the feast, the festivals and doing the things of Moses, no, they were born into it. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, you see. Now, remember, it's not to say that, you know, Jews are, you know, automatically saints and Gentiles are, you know, sinners. Both Jew and Gentile, the law in the law is the knowledge of sin. But Gentiles not having the law, they don't understand this. As the Jews do, especially Peter, because he knows better, especially Paul, because he knows better, too. And that's what he's saying here to Peter. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing in verse 16, knowing, remember, knowing, Peter, you know this. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. A man is not justified by the works of the law. I'll say it a third time. A man is not justified by the works of the law. But by faith in Jesus Christ. Peter, you know this. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ. Remember, their salvation isn't automatic because the Jews, Paul, a Jew, is speaking to Peter, a Jew. And he's saying, Justification is by faith in Jesus Christ, and even we, Peter, who's a Jew, even we, Peter, have believed in Jesus Christ. You see? That we, Jews, might be justified by faith in Christ. What does that say about justification by the law? No, our justification is by faith. That we might be justified by faith in Jesus, that faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. I'm going to say that again. If you happen to be in the Hebrew roots movement, I'm going to say this again. By the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. You see? And this is Jewish Paul saying this to Jewish Peter. In front of Gentiles and Jews. Public chastisement. You see? And Paul says, even we have believed in Jesus Christ. Not through the law. But by faith in Jesus Christ. He says it himself in verse 16. Jewish Paul. To Jewish Peter. He says this in verse 17. But if... While we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are found sinners. Whoa, pause there for a moment. Pause here. I mean, don't hit pause, but I meant like we're going to stop here for a moment. In verse 17, but if while we seek to be justified by Christ, that's very interesting wording there, Paul. Because he's speaking about himself and Peter who are both Jews, who have faith in Jesus Christ and who have believed in Jesus Christ, not being justified by the law, but justified by faith in Christ. And he says, we seek to be justified by Christ. Wait a second. I thought he already was justified by Christ. And yet he's saying we seek to, we desire to, we endeavor to be justified by Christ. I thought it was an automatic deal. People always say, oh, we're justified by faith. We're justified by faith. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I have a question to ask. What about tomorrow? What about tomorrow? Oh, but we're justified by faith. 100%. Absolutely. What about tomorrow? What about next week? What about next month? What about next year? What about next decade? What about tomorrow? Tomorrow. Remember the thief on the cross, the example we gave several weeks ago? The thief on the cross believes in Jesus Christ. He says to Jesus Christ, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus Christ tells him, because he believes in Jesus Christ, that he's the Messiah. He says, remember me when you enter your kingdom. He didn't think Jesus was crazy. He did at first. But now he believes he's the Messiah. And the thief says, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus Christ says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Best words anybody can hear on their deathbed. But what if, not to present a blasphemous scenario, but what if that thief, the Roman guard says, okay, let's let this guy off the the cross. And he lives. The thief who believes in Jesus Christ. He justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Justified 100% when he was on the cross. Justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Now he's let down off the cross. I'm just giving an example here. He's let down off the cross. He heals up. What about tomorrow? What about next week, next month, next year, next decade? What about that? You say, wait a second, but he's justified by faith. One hundred percent. He believed in Jesus Christ. He believes in Jesus Christ justified by faith. But what about the walk? I'll say it another way. What about the works? You see now understand this. We are not saved by works. We are not justified by works. Okay. understand, you know, like the J-dubs, the J-dubs, the Jehovah's Witnesses. The J-dubs say, well, you know, they, when they knock on your door, you know, knock on your door, and they're not, oh, yeah, we want you to do this. Because they have to be, they have converts. If they don't meet a certain quota of converts, they think, okay, I'm going to burn in hell. If I don't get my quota, I'm going to burn in hell. So they're knocking on doors for their salvation, for their own salvation. That's works-based, which is unbiblical. Jehovah's Witnesses, it's unbiblical. Now, if you're Jehovah's Witness, I love you. Come out of her, my people. Read your Bible, the real Bible, not, not the Watchtower, the real Bible, not the one that's been altered. The, uh, another, you know, that, add that to the mix, you know, another Jesus, another Spirit, another Gospel. Well, Watchtower, they have another, another Bible. No, I'm talking about the real Jesus in accordance with the real Bible. Listen to him and then come out of Watchtower. Come out of her, my people. But the J-dubs, they knock on the doors for their salvation. Oh, I gotta get 10 converts this month or else I'm gonna burn in hell. For us, the Christians, we're not saved by works. Not to suggest that the J-dubs are saved by works. No, they're not saved by works. It's a false doctrine. That will lead them. That doctrine will lead them to hell. That's why I say, J-dubs, come out of her, my people. I love you. Get a real Bible and read the real Bible and study the real Bible. But when I mention works, I'm talking about obedience. Brother James says this himself when he said, Faith without works is dead. Faith absent works is dead. Now, when he speaks about works, he speaks of Abraham and Isaac. And when you read the passage in Genesis about Abraham and Isaac, you know what you see? 100% complete and total obedience to the word of the Lord. That's what you see. Faith without works. What I like to say, faith without walks. Faith without walk is dead. Faith without works is dead. I don't want my faith to be dead. I don't want your faith to be dead. What does that say to us? We have to obey the Lord. We have to walk with the Lord. You see? Faith without works, you know, not to be hearers only, but to be doers of the word. To apply the word in our lives. You in your life, me in my life. To apply the word in our lives. Otherwise, even the demons believe. Oh, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in Jesus Christ. Yeah, I love him. Come on, let's go go do some crack. The finest meth from Chiapas, Mexico. Where's the works? Where's the walk? Where's the obedience? Oh, I believe in Jesus Christ. Come on, let's go to the strip club. Where's obedience? You believe, but even the demons believe. Oh, I believe, but you know, let's go get, let's go get drunk. Come on, I got you know, a nice whiskey bottle, come on. Yeah, you believe. Where's the obedience? What about tomorrow? What about next week? What about next month? You see? And faith without works, faith without obedience is dead. You see? There's going to be a people Who will stand before the Lord? Lord, they call him Lord, Lord, Lord. We did all these things in your name. Look, we did these. We, and effective with, with carnal eyes. You can look at their earthly ministry and be like, wow, they were effective. We cast out demons in your name. We did all these things in your name. And Jesus Christ will say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. You see? They were hearers. They believed in Jesus Christ. But their works were wicked. Their works were iniquity. No obedience. They believed, you see. But they didn't do. That's, Paul even includes himself in this example. He, like the the thief on the cross. He comes down, in this example, you know, he comes down off this cross. Now he has to obey. Yes, he's justified by faith. But now he has to obey, you know, next month, next year. Now he has to obey. And faith without works is dead. Faith without obedience is dead. You see? Paul says this of himself and of Jewish Paul and Jewish Peter who believe in Jesus Christ, who are justified, who are justified uh, by faith in Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 17, But if while we seek, while we endeavor, while we desire to be justified by Christ, Well, wait a second. I thought they were already justified. Yes, they were justified when they believed. But even they have their tomorrows. Even Paul seeks to be justified. I thought he was already justified. Yes, he was already justified when he believed. But now, what about today? He has to obey. What about tomorrow? He has to obey. What about next week? He has to obey. Next month, next year, he has to obey. Otherwise, faith without works is dead. Faith without obedience is dead. Speaking to Peter, he says, "While we, If, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are found sinners, Paul and Peter. Remember, Paul is speaking publicly in Peter's chastisement. Is Christ, therefore, a minister of sin? Question mark? Certainly not, exclamation point. Whoa. That's hardcore. Are we ministers of sin? Is, is Christ, therefore, a minister of sin? Now, absolutely not. Absolutely not. But let me ask you a question. Of whom are you a vessel? Because if, my beautiful friend, if you are abiding in Christ, If you are abiding in Christ, and He in you, you are now a vessel of Christ. And if you're a vessel of Christ, what are the things in which you partake? What are those things of which and in which you partake? Remember, you're abiding in Christ and Christ in you. Now you're a vessel of Christ. What are those things that you're partaking in? The sex, the pornography, the alcohol, the meth, the Ouija boards, the occult. This brings up serious questions. And I say this not to hurt you. I know the eventuality of ramifications are very concerning, to say the least. But that's what Paul is saying to Peter, who is not playing the hypocrite, is the hypocrite. While we seek in verse 17, if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are found sinners. Is Christ, therefore, a minister of sin? Certainly not. He's saying, Peter, what in the world are you doing? What in the world are you doing? And Paul, using himself as the example. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. I condemn myself. You see, it's self-inflicted. Old Testament, New Testament, it's always self-inflicted. The Lord is reactionary. If I build again, you see remember paul spoke about his former conduct in chapter 1 verse 13 how his former conduct in judaism how he persecuted the church of god beyond measure and tried to destroy it using the law to destroy the church what if paul all of a sudden says he comes around the corner and instead of saying hey what's going on here everybody let's go back in the house what's going on here instead of doing that he says okay let's go to this jewish house come on i'm a jew too come on let's all the jews go over here and you gentiles well you know Uh, you want to get circumcised? We love the Lord and, you know, we're of the Lord. You know, we walk with the Lord. Peter walked with the Lord and, you know, I didn't confer with flesh and blood immediately, but we're going to go to this Jewish house over here. What would you do in that table? You love Jesus Christ, but you don't know too much about him. You know that you love him. You know, he's the Messiah. You know, he's the son of God and you love him. You fear the Lord. Paul is an influencer. Peter's an influencer. Barnabas is an influencer and they're going to this Jewish house Do you see what Satan can do to your heart? Hey, why don't you get up and you follow them to this Jewish house where they do the things of Moses. They abide in Moses. Now listen, if you're Hebrew roots and you abide in Moses, you're not abiding in Christ. Are you going to abide in Moses or are you going to abide in Christ? Choice is yours. Ball's in your court. And Paul says in verse 18, if I build again those things which I destroyed, I don't persecute the Christians anymore. I don't kill them anymore. I don't stone them anymore. I was doing that when I was in Judaism, when I was under the law, when I was in the law, when I was abiding in Moses. But the Lord rescued me from that. And if I do that again, I make myself a transgressor. Now that's the law. But using that example I gave my beautiful friend, when I asked the question of whom are you a vessel? And I pressed even further and I says, if you're abiding in Christ and he in you, why would you partake in XYZ, ABC, one, two, three, whatever kinds of works and of the flesh? Now, if you were formerly a drug addict, if you're formerly an alcoholic, if you were formerly a sex head, if you're formerly a cult, if you're formerly witchcraft, if you're formerly whatever, Buddha, if you were formerly Mary, if you were formerly whatever, I don't care. You believe in Jesus Christ? Praise be to the Lord. Don't go back to Mary. Don't go back to Buddha. Don't go back to meth. Don't go back to crack. Don't go back to the strippers. Don't go back to pornography. Don't go back to the meth. Don't go back to any of it. You abide in Jesus Christ because he's in you. He doesn't say, abide in me, period. He says, abide in me and I in you. You are a vessel of Jesus Christ. Now, there might not be a lot of new wine in there, yet. If you're a believer today, you became a Christian today, praise be to the Lord. And if you're listening and you're not a believer, this is going to be the weirdest gospel message you've probably ever heard. But if you're not a believer, cut it out. (laughs) That's... (laughs) That's my gospel message. (laughs) If you're not a believer, cut it out. Be unbelieving no more. And you believe in Jesus Christ because God loves you. God loves you. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Jesus might be saved. You see? That the world through Jesus might be saved. He loves you. I like to say to people, get in the ark, capital A, get in the ark, which is to abide in Christ. You See? And if that's you, you hit pause and you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Jesus Christ. You commit your life to Jesus Christ, boom, you're bored again. You, people always get on my case. Oh, that's easy believ- believism. You teach easy believism. Absolutely. The Bible does. Absolutely. Easy believe. What's so hard about believing in Jesus Christ? What's hard about it? Straight up, what's hard about it? You see? You know what's hard about, you know, the hard part? Walking with Jesus Christ. I mean, I say hard part, but it's easy with the Helper. It's easy with the Helper. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. A lot of Christians today, they believe in Jesus Christ. But the Holy Spirit, there's no baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's another transaction. You see? Listen to our studies to the book of Acts. You'll understand exactly what we're talking about. It's another transaction. Oh, that's easy believism. How dare you teach easy believism? In the course of time, the pastor's divorced, gets a second wife, third wife, fourth wife. Oh, that's, you teach easy believism. The pastor's a crackhead. Oh, you teach easy believism. The, the, the pastor starts molesting children, molesting the youth group. Oh, you teach easy believism. Absolutely, 100%. But you don't, you're not walking. You're not walking. Instead of saying, you know, there is no easy believism. No, believing in Jesus Christ, what's hard about that? What's hard about believing in Jesus Christ? I'll give you the answer. Absolutely nothing. You know where the problem comes? Fake walkism. The hypocrites don't walk. And because the hypocrites don't walk, instead of saying, we're to blame, they say, no, let's look at easy believism. You see? I'm 100% easy believism. Now, you have to repent. Now, I say easy believism. That's not just like, okay, you believe in Jesus Christ. Everything's good to go. No, you have to repent. There's the acknowledgement of sin. Repent. Believe in Jesus Christ. And when you do that, you're a baby, a fresh baby. Now, you have to grow. Now, to grow, listen to our study to First Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. It'll help you in your growth and maturity in Christ. And then we learn to fight. You know, we roll around on the mat, hand-to-hand combat. We learn to fight. Little bubble, we establish a little bubble. We grow, we mature, and we engage on the battlefield knowing that Satan pops bubbles. But we fight still. You see? That's what Paul is saying to Peter here. If I build again, if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. It's also taught in Hebrews chapter 6. I meant we referenced it already, but let's go there again. In Hebrews 6, verse 4 it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit. And have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. If they fall away, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance. You see? And he says here in verse four, it is impossible. In verse six, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the son of God and put him to an open shame. Whoa. Oh, but wait a second. My pastor teaches once saved, always saved. Get a new pastor. You're taught wrong. That's the wrong formula. With the formula, you're going to get, you know, uh, pink juice, no smoke. We got to get blue juice in the puff of smoke. Wrong formula. Oh, but my pastor taught me otherwise. Who's your pastor? Uh, Jennifer. There you go. There's your problem right there. Wrong. She's the wrong formula. You see? Oh, but my pastor teaches me otherwise. He says, you know, once saved, always saved. Well, who's your pastor? Oh, it's it's Jennifer. But he used to be Mike. There you go. Red flags. And he he's the wrong form. When the person is the wrong formula, you're not gonna get taught the right formula. Everything has to align. Everything has to align. You see. This is hardcore. This is very hardcore because remember, the church in Galatia, the saints, they're being seduced. They have been seduced and they're going to the law. That example where I gave where, you know, we're at a table. I get up and I say, okay, let's go hang out with these Jews. Let's go to the Jewish sector. Let's go to the Jewish houses. Let's hang out with the Jews. And there you guys are all alone. There you, the Gentile, table of Gentiles. You're all alone. You fear the Lord. You love Jesus Christ. And you're like sad. We were just having a meal, having a good time and laughing and rejoicing. All of a sudden you're sad. You're like getting teary eyed. What do we do? Peter who walked with the Lord and he's going to the Jewish houses. He's going to go do the things of Moses. So, okay, let's get up. Let's go do that too. Yeah, we're Gentiles, but we love the Lord. We fear the Lord. Let's go do that too. Let's go do the things of Moses. Let's go do this. Let's get circumcised. The guys, come on, let's go get circumcised. I thought we were circumcised in our heart, but apparently that's not true. Let's go get circumcised physically. Okay, guys, let's line up and boom, right here. I mean, across the street with the Jewish sector. Let's not abide in Christ. Let's abide in Moses. What would happen? Now, remember, a lot of baby Christians... A lot of people without understanding to include Peter and Barnabas and these Jews. To include these people without understanding, except Paul, who's not like the average bear. Now that that same thing, that example I gave of you five, you get up and you walk, you cross the street into the abiding in Moses. That's what was happening in Galatia. That's what was happening to the saints in Galatia. You see and remember Verse 4 of Galatians 2, these false brethren pseudo delphos or the pseudo-apostolos secretly brought, I mean, referencing our study through 2 Corinthians 11, secretly brought in, smuggled in by stealth, secretly brought in by stealth to spy out our freedom, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. That's their objective. I paint a picture here how sad it would be you guys get up off the table, out of the table, and you walk across the street. Instead of abiding in Christ, now you're abiding in that house that we're in, that meeting place that we're in, that's Christ. We're abiding in Christ. And the Jews are about to walk in. I hop to. Barnabas walks with me. We go across the street, and now we're abiding in the house of Moses. Abiding in Moses. And you get up, you leave that house, abiding in Christ, and then you go into the house of Moses. You see? Now, I paint this picture and how sad and devastating that is. But in that group, in that midst, somebody is laughing. Somebody is cracking up. Somebody is well-pleased because the objective of his master, Satan, is being achieved, being accomplished, bringing us into bondage. You see? Leaving Jesus... And entering Moses. You see? Somebody's laughing. And it's Satan and his servants. That's the danger. That's the danger. And everybody got sucked into it. Peter, the Jews, Barnabas. They was carried away with their hypocrisy in verse 13. Or seduced with their hypocrisy. And Paul in his public chastisement of Peter is telling him for in verse 18, for if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. I condemn myself for I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. Remember, Jewish Paul is saying this to Jewish Peter in that example I gave. We're all at a table. The Jews come to the door. We're about to walk out. Paul walks around the corner, says everybody back in. And then Paul starts to publicly chastise me. And he points across the street. He looks out the window, points across the street, and says, that house over there, that house is Moses. And you know what? I, using the teachings of Moses, died to that house. That house, I'm not of that house. That house, I died to that house. That I might stay in this house that we're all in, Jew and Gentile, and live to God. Instead of Peter, instead of you taking these people out of this house and going to the house of Moses, no, Peter, you're in the wrong. Everybody should stay here and abide in this house. Jew and Gentile, everybody should abide in this house. And that house is Christ. That house looking out the window, pointing at the house across the street, the house of Moses, Paul says, I'm dead to that. And the teachings that I got when I was in there, that's how I know because the law pointed across the street. It was it it was the opposite. When I was in the house of Moses, it was the law that pointed out that window and says, go to that house, abide in Christ, using the law. And Peter, you're doing the opposite. You want to take people there and we're supposed to stay here in Christ. You see? In verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. It is no longer I who live, he says. But Christ lives in me. How many times? Do you remember in our study in Corinthians? A little bit in Romans. But we would reference this passage. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Everybody has this on their You see bumper stickers, you see magnets, you see the posters, you see keychains. Everybody has this saying, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And I don't say that in a mocking sense. But everybody loves this verse, and I love it too. But in order for this verse to apply to anybody, Paul is saying this. It's Paul saying that, that it applies to himself in this public chastisement to Peter. Saying that that house across the street, I'm dead to that house, which is Moses. In order for any of us to have this verse apply in our lives, we have to be dead. You see, we have to reckon the old man dead, the old woman dead. We have to carry our cross, the instrument of, uh, of, of uh, instrument of death. We have to carry that. And remember, even Jesus Christ had help carrying his cross. Because sometimes you see, oh, I love this pastor. I love this poster so much. You know, I see this. Look, it says, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Look at this keychain. Look at my bumper sticker. Look at this magnet I have on the fridge. Look how awesome it is. It's like, okay, yes, absolutely. It's a beautiful verse. I love it. But what's up with the crack? What's up with the sex? What's up with the pornography? Why is it that you have a wife and like three on the side? Why is it that the occult, what's up with the pornography? What's up with the Buddha? What's up with the Mary? What's up with all these things? I don't see crucifixion, my friend. Because if you're going to say this, if you're going to, if you want this verse to apply in your life, Paul is saying it because he's Paul. Not to say that, you know, this is for Paul and Paul alone and not to deify Paul. Remember, Paul says, I'm trash. Paul says, I'm the scum of the earth. Listen to our study through 1 Corinthians. You'll understand. Not to deify Paul, but Christ in Paul. You see? And in this public chastisement, Jewish Paul is saying to Jewish Peter, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Now, put yourself in Peter's shoes for a moment, his sandals. When Paul is saying, I have been crucified with Christ, when Peter was there, Peter denied him three, not once, not twice, three times Peter denied him. And to hear Paul say, I have been crucified with Christ, Talk about hitting home. And to hear Paul say, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Remember, you're in Peter's sandals. To hear Paul say this, knowing that you denied Jesus three times. And Paul is saying, Christ is in me. And everything that Paul says is like a knife in your heart because you know he's right. Because you walked with Jesus and he taught. And you know everything that Paul is saying is accurate. And in your own past, you denied Jesus Christ three times after he washed your feet. Sandals, open toe, dirty feet, dirty toenails. And the hands of Jesus Christ, which were not yet scarred, not yet wounded, held his feet in your hand held your feet in his hands and he washed in between the toes the dirty nails his hands cleansed you cleansed your feet and you hear this vessel Paul i'm crucified with him the one who washed your feet i'm crucified with him the one who you denied i'm crucified with him The one who washed your feet. I'm dead, Peter. I'm dead. I'm I'm, I'm standing up. Paul is dead. But Christ is alive in me. And Peter, from your perspective, remember you're Peter, you're in Peter's sandals. You denied the Lord not once, not twice, not three times. And here, by your own behavior, you're denying Jesus Christ again. You see? But how beautiful is it to see and know what godly sorrow produces? Remember, there's worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow would be like, okay, I'm out of here, Paul. I'm out of here. I'm done. You know, you're so mean. You're too mean. You look, you should have done this in private. Look, all these people are watching. You got the Jewish people over here, the Gentiles over here. Everybody's watching. And you're saying this publicly. You're not even whispering. Everybody can hear this. I'm so out of here. Look, I'm going to go to this other church across the street. So what if they go grave soaking? No big deal. So what if they teach you can take the mark of the beast, they'll be saved? So what if they teach one saved, always saved? No big deal. So what if they teach replacement theology? No biggie. I'm going to go here. you. are so You're too mean for me. That's worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow. And Peter knew. Knowledge. A gift of the Holy Spirit. Oh my goodness. Paul is right. What have I done? What have I done? I remember I denied Jesus Christ. And here I am doing it again. You see. This is powerful. And Paul is using this history method. Not just a lesson, but this historical account of something that happened to the saints in Galatia to rock their world and say, hey, don't you dare go to the house of Moses. In the house of Moses is death. Don't you dare go to the house of Moses. And if you have, get out. Come out of her, my people. Get out of that house and come to this house. Get in this house. This is Christ. You abide here. Worker to worker. Paul is saying this to Peter in his public chastisement openly. It is no longer I who live, in verse 20, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I live now live in the flesh, I live by faith. By faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Whoa. 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 A lot of times you see, you go to Christian homes, you have little fellowships and everything's fine. I and mean, oh, look at this little verse. Oh, I have been crucified with Christ. as no longer I who live. And it's absolutely beautiful. It's a beautiful verse. And if you want to proclaim this verse in your life, be ye crucified. Carry your cross. Reckon the old man dead. Reckon the old woman dead. You do those things. And this verse will not only apply to your life. This verse will thrive in your life. But I'll also say this. Never, ever, ever forget verse 17 and 18. Never. Never. A lot of times you see the, the the bumper stickers. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me. You see the bumper sticker. You see the magnets. You see the poster. But you'll never see a poster with verse 17 and 18. Oh, that's too hardcore. If I build again, verse 18, if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. Verse 17, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Ooh, that's too hardcore, too painful. I don't. I don't want that bumper sticker. But we're not bumper sticker believers. We're remnant believers, a people of the way. The bumper sticker Christians are in trouble because of the defunct teachers that they have. You see? Who know not the things on which they teach. But I speak to you Be ye crucified. It's like another passage, not to get off topic, but it's like another passage i like to refer to. Turn to Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. No disrespect to the Lord, but this is another bumper sticker. Verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. It's a lovely, lovely verse. It's beautiful. I love this verse so much. But it's another bumper sticker. It's another poster. It's another magnet on the fridge. But let's look at verse 10. For thus says the Lord, After 70 years are completed at Babylon, at Babylon, not Jerusalem. After 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you. Whoa, but wait a second. I want your word now, Lord. I want it now, Lord, not 70 years. Imagine if you're 20 years old today. You're 20 years old today. And the Lord tells you, I'm going to visit you and I will perform my good word toward you when you're 90. You see? Will you still walk with him? You're 20 years old right now. Say you're 15 years old right now. I'm terrible at math. We'll go back to 20. (laughs) Say you're 20 years old right now and you're praying to the Lord. And he tells you, I'm going to visit you and I will perform my good word toward you, not in Jerusalem, in Babylon, after 70 years, when you're 90, when you're old, when you can barely walk, when you can barely get up. In that 70 year gap, will you be obedient? Will you stay obedient to him? Or will you say, well, you know, I can't wait that long. I want this now, Lord. I want your work to be accomplished in my life right here, right now. So because you're going to tarry, because you're going to wait for 90 or 70 years until I'm 90 years old, no, no thanks. I'm going to go back to crack. I'm going to go party in Babylon. I'm going to go back and do my meth, do my gambling, go to the strippers, do my pornography. Go back to Mary, to Buddha, to Krishna. Do all these things. Read the Hindu Vedas. Thanks, but no thanks, Lord. You see? Seventy years. Not seven. Seventy. Seven zero. At the end of verse ten. And cause you to return to this place. And then all of a sudden we see verse eleven. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace. Now, in a, not in a mocking sense, but I meant like, think What would the natural man, not the spiritual man, what would the natural man or the natural woman think in their mind? If the Lord were to say to you, I'm going to visit you and perform my good word toward you after 70 years, when you're 20 today, when you're 90, I'm going to do, I'm going to come visit you. You're going to be in Babylon. You're not going to be in Jerusalem, but I'm going to do these things. And then the Lord says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace. Now, who would laugh in their heart of hearts, in their mind of minds? Who would laugh? Like, what? What about when I'm 30, Lord? You're telling me that I have to wait 70 years, and you're also telling me that this is a thought of peace? What about when I'm 40? What about when I'm 50? What about when I'm 60? What about when I'm 70 or 80, 85? You still won't visit and perform your good work toward me? And you're telling me this is a thought of peace? Now, I say that and I don't want to come off as mocking and brash, but carnally speaking, that's what would happen among the carnal. Who would be found in obedience to the Lord? At age 20, yes, that's easy. That's a piece of cake because everything's fresh. But at age 30, at age 40, when you're desperate for visitation from the Lord and for His good word to be performed inside of you and to you, what about when you're 50, 60, 70? But yet to understand that these thoughts of peace and not of evil. And remember, this is in Babylon now. I'm going to visit you in Babylon, not in Jerusalem, in Babylon. And yes, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. I wonder how many people would laugh at that. Wow, hope in Babylon? You know, in my 2090 example, at age 30. Future and a hope at age 30 when... I want this now, Lord. I want your good word now, Lord. What about at age 40? Still in Babylon. At age 50, still in Babylon. 60, Babylon. 70, Babylon. 80, Babylon. 89, Babylon. 90, Babylon. You see? Then, in verse 12, then you will call upon me, And go and pray to me. And I will listen to you. Whoa. Intimacy restored. It's very interesting what the Lord refers to as peace. And not evil. To give you future and hope. A lot of times people think very carnally, oh, it's this in this life or it's in it's over here. It's over there. It's like this. It's like that. They have this idea. I shouldn't say they we have this idea of what peace and safety looks like. Prophetically speaking, not to get off topic, but prophetically speaking, when people say peace, peace and safety, boom, sudden destruction. Prophetically. But we'll save that for another day. very interesting what the lord considers his peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope it's intimacy with him because he says after 70 years in verse 12 it's then not in jerusalem it's then in babylon you will call upon me and go and pray to me and i will listen to you see he wasn't listening before man all jeremiah what they call him the lonely prophet the weeping prophet you know why Because he was lonely and sad. Lonely and sad. Why? Because Judah had left the Lord. And they're about to go into Babylonian captivity for 70 years. You think like, well, there's a lot of death that happens. But what the Lord considers peace and not evil to give you future and a hope is your intimacy with him. His intimacy with you, that's what he desires. Not a portion of your heart, not 5% of your heart, not 20%, not even 80% of your heart. 100% of your heart. Fully and completely devoted to him and him alone. Not Mary, not Buddha, not the Krishnas, no, him alone. And after 70 years in Babylon, in verse 13, And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. You see? That's what's so powerful about, yes, I'll say chastisement. Because Judah, at this particular moment, they might have been praying to the Lord. But where was their obedience? Oh, yeah, I'm going to have these asterisks. I'm going to have these molex. I'm going to, you know, worship the Baals. And then, oh, my goodness, the Babylonians are coming. Now I'm going to worship the Lord. And oh help me, Lord. Help us, Lord. Oh, look, I got chains on my head now. Lord, where are you? Look, I'm a slave in Babylon now. Lord, where are you? Lord, I'm getting beaten. Lord, where are this other guy? He's dying. He's dead. Look at these corpses around me. They're all dead. Lord, where are you? And then what happens in that chastisement? Now we're old. Old men, you know, old women, you know, we've got the, you know, the weak backs, the weak legs. We can bear the gray hair, wrinkles everywhere, and, you know, everything just old. And we're not just saying, like, Lord, where are you? We're falling on our face before the Lord. Lord, forgive me my trespasses when I had the asterisks, when I worshiped the Molechs, when I bowed to Baal. Forgive me, Lord. You see? And we search and we seek the Lord with all our hearts and boom, we're old people, wrinkly, white hair, everything. We're on our faces before the Lord. It takes us an hour to get on our face because we're old and we we move all slowly. And then in verse 10. Boom. I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. You see? Perspective. But yet, what do we see today in the bumper sticker church? We see, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you future, to give you a future, and I hope, and we think very carnally. Oh, this is such a beautiful verse. Absolutely, it's a beautiful verse, but let's let's look at it in context of what's happening to Judah. You see, the Lord must be the Lord. The Lord is the Lord, but he must be the Lord of your life and my life. Meaning 100% of my heart, 100% of your heart and nobody else. Nobody else, you and him, you see. And if you don't have that, find a pattern that does. Find the pattern that does, because they will teach you and pour into you and train you. And follow him as he follows Christ. You see? Just like Paul. Follow me as I follow Christ. Oh, Paul, that's that's pretty boastful of you. Follow you as you follow Christ? That's pretty boastful, Paul. But look at Paul, he's he's dead. He's dead, and crucified. Let's go back to Galatians. I'll read Galatians 20 again. Paul saying this. This is Paul. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. He's dead. He's dead. Remember, that when you carry your cross, that's an instrument of death. You don't, you're not carrying your cross because it's, you know, you're lifting weights and you want to carry something heavy. You're not carrying a cross made of balsa wood because it's light. You're not carrying a fancy cross with all the, you know, little designs in it because you want to take selfies and see how people to see how awesome you are. You're carrying your cross so that your hands and feet can be pierced into it so that you can die. You're carrying your cross so that you can die. That's Paul, a pattern. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Never, never let verse 20 be a mere bumper sticker, be a mere magnet, but let it be etched in your heart. As you carry your cross, as you reckon the old man dead, the old woman dead, and never forget verse 17 and 18 as well. In closing, Paul says this, still in his public chastisement of Peter, he says, I do not set aside the grace of God. Setting aside is to disesteem, neutralize, violate, and reject. He says, I do not set aside the grace of God. It's like saying to Peter, Peter, this is what you're doing. This is what you're doing, Peter. You want to cross the street into the house of Moses? You're rejecting the grace of God. This is what you're doing. You see? And notice how Satan entered so quietly. So quietly. Remember verse 13. Remember in the end of verse 12, it was... Stoked by the fear of Peter, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And then in verse 13, the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy or seduced. Notice how Satan came in so quietly, skillfully, stealthily, secretly. You see. That's Lucifer. That's Lucifer. And he was almost successful among Titans, among Peter, among Barnabas. You see? And these, in verse 12, certain men came from, before certain men came from James. And these Jews were also played a hypocrite. These, Satan was Lucifer. Lucifer. Beelzebub, that serpent of old, was almost successful among titans. You could say, well, he wasn't just almost successful. He was successful because had Paul not said anything? Had Paul not been there? What if Paul was a little late? They were already... Peter was already playing the hypocrite. The Jews were already playing the hypocrite. Barnabas was already playing the hypocrite. You see? You could say Lucifer wasn't just almost successful. You could say he was pretty successful. Not among babies either. Among titans. And when I say titans, I just... Among the influencers. Among the those of reputation. You see? Remember Satan through the book of Acts? Lucifer... Through the book of Acts. You see, remember, we're on the peak of the mountain. We're looking down at the battlefield. You see the red pins, you see the yellow pins. The red is of the Lord, the yellow is of Satan. You see the red pins, you see the yellow pins. See? And you see moving. You see traversing. You see red becoming yellow. You see yellow becoming red. You see death. You see destruction. You see stoning. You see burning. You see the home invasion. You see bubbles being opening here. Bubbles opening there. Bubbles popping over here. Bubbles popping over there. More bubbles being blown up over here. Bubbles growing over here. It's war. And you see the Lord is at work. Absolutely. But Satan is also at work. And he can be successful. He is successful. But I say he can be successful because I speak to the remnant. I'm not called to teach the dead. I'm called to teach the living. You see? And we fight. In closing, Paul, still no end quote here. The end quote is coming. This is. Remember, the open quote started in verse 14. If you being a Jew, that's the first statement. This is a long dissertation of public chastisement. Peter's chastisement. Getting people to go into the house of Moses when no, Peter, instead of you hopping up, you should be the one, Peter, to say, hey, Jewish guys, come on. How was was James doing? How was your thing with James? Here, let me introduce you to this guy, this gal, this kid, this boy, this girl. Let me introduce you. Or let's continue in our conversation. How, are, how was your travels over here? Was everything safe? Because remember, in Christ, there's no Jew, no Gentile, no male, no female slave free rich poor we're all one in christ in accordance the word of god there's a unity in these last days which is false it is of satan it is of the harlot the mother of harlots it's a false unity but it's all prophesied it will come to pass i don't teach i'm not called to teach the dead i teach the living you see, in closing, Jewish Paul says this to Jewish Peter, brothers in Christ, for if righteousness comes to the law, then Christ died in vain. It was all for nothing, Peter. That's what he's saying. If, if righteousness comes to the law, you see. Righteousness does not come through the law. You see, righteousness does not come in the house of Moses. Moses wrote about another house, that of Christ. Righteousness comes through Christ and through Him alone. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Him. I'm just the messenger. Now, we're going to end our study here, but I want you to understand this landscape of the battlefield because Paul is using this history lesson to tell the Galatian saints, what in the world are you doing in the house of Moses? Get out of that house. It's dangerous. It's poisonous. Get out of that house of Moses. It's the law. You're not supposed to be under the law. You're supposed to be in grace in Jesus Christ, abiding in the fulfillment of the law. I'm going to read verse one. a little bit of verse 1. Of chapter three. Oh foolish Galatians exclamation point. Oh foolish Galatians, whoa. Whoa. Why are they foolish? Remember chapter one, verse six. I marvel to the Galatian saints. I marvel that you were turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. I marvel. I'm blown away that you're leaving this house of Christ and going into that house of Moses. I marvel. You're blowing me away by doing this, Galatian saints. And you're going, abiding in a different gospel. You're listening to a different gospel. You're listening to a different Jesus. You're listening to a different spirit. Oh, foolish Galatians, he says in chapter 3, verse 1. You see? You say, wait a second, Paul's so mean-spirited. How dare he say that? How dare he not say it? He's a vessel of the Lord. He's not a vessel of, you know, let's go pick out curtains. He's not a vessel of, you know, let's go pick out daisies. No. He's a vessel of, he's a servant of the Lord. Oh, how dare he say that? How dare he be silent? Because this is life and death, real life and death in the life to come. This is lake of fire type of stuff. Second death. Very serious. You see? And I say this as an encouragement to the remnant of these last days. You see? We're living in very dangerous times, perilous times, as prophesied. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. And it's going to get bad. It's going to get ugly. But yet we fight. We fight the good fight of faith until our last dying breath. To the beautiful people of the way, God bless you. I love you.